Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 1, Episode 18, The Waterbending Master. Woo! Today I have a fully chopped panel. <laughs> I have our usuals, Lindsay. Hey. Corey. Greetings. Charles. Good day. And a returning guest, Mitchell. Hello. And a new guest, let's welcome Olivia. Hi. Yay, Yay. welcome. Hooray. Woo. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So as we do with all of our guests, let's start off with you, Olivia. Um, what is your experience with Avatar? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I watched it uh, when it came on Nickelodeon when I was much younger. I don't remember how old I was. But <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess I, I, I was pretty excited about uh, definitely Katara. She was a really cool character. I wanted to see how Zuko developed as a person. Um, Aang, of course, is kind of my favorite character of everybody. Um, but yeah, so I, I am not probably as experienced as you guys, but I have a lot to say. I think that they're all very complicated and uh, well uh, thought out uh, episodes and great series. All right, cool. So, as per usual, we will start off with our initial thoughts. Um, we'll start things off. Uh, Mitchell, you're our returning guest, so give us your initial thoughts starting off. Uh, on the episode or on the episode? Yes, on the episode. Well, uh, there's a lot to say about this episode. Um, let's just start up with saying that it's, I mean, it's it's quite a big change, right, from everything that uh, we have up until at this point. You know, you really get to see the change in civilization, and I think the contrast between, you know, one tribe to the other is very clear here. So I think that that's a very cool, you know, that's a very cool dichotomy between the two different tribes. Um, I like that very much, and it. I think that this episode also really helps bring a lot of life into the episode because it shows, you know, that uh, there are different people and that you know they have their own customs and traditions, and especially you know this whole concept with you know water bending and the sexism behind it. I think that was very interesting because it really bring you know it really brings life to a show. You know, it's not just. Uh, it's it becomes less of you know the journey of one and a world building episode in a sense as well. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Linz. I love this episode so much. Kind of like going off of what Mitchell said was, again, it's so interesting to see the different um, the contrast of the Southern Water Tribe and the Northern Water Tribe, and also just especially contrasting what the northern tribe water tribe actually really is in comparison to everything else that we've been seeing and the inclusion of um the idea of the sexism behind it is just again kind of goes into the cultural values and it kind of makes you kind of just kind of just ha- i don't even know what i'm saying anymore i'm sorry <laughs> um it's fine um, but yeah, it's just a really strong episode, and the fight scene in it is just amazing. So yeah, right. I like it. Charles. Well, um, I, I have, I feel obligated to mirror the um, social sexist comments that obviously this mm-hmm. episode brings up. Uh, but focusing on for me, that was like a thing when I was younger that I kind of 
ignored. It was like, oh, well, obviously the main cast is going to find a way to, you know, end this, or for their purposes, end the discrimination. But as they get older, it's like, uh, it's still kind of awkward. Like, we don't know how long this has been going on, and one person is going to change an entire society in what amounts to, like, two days, a day, three I mm-hmm. lost yeah. track there, but um, one thing I really appreciate about this episode is that it carries on like different, slightly uh, varying storylines, but has it in a way that they don't conflict with each other or that um, breaks the flow much. Like you've got the soccer thing with Yue, and then uh, you also know that he's doing stuff during the day. Then you've got what Ang is doing and Guitar is doing, and it's like those are. I mean, they're tied, but, like, they're Mm -hmm. not, um, you know, right next to each other or anything. So I really appreciated that they could cover all that without it being awkward, like in some prior episodes we saw. Mm -hmm. All right, Corey? Um, This is a very good episode. Um, It's mostly set up for the the finale. Um, um, I do like the whole cultural difference, as everyone else has said, between the North and the South water tribes. Um, I very much did appreciate it. Um, I don't like um, the name is escaping me, but the trainer um, that Paku, Paku. yeah, Paku. Um, Not because not because of the obvious reasons, mostly because I think he at the beginning of the episode he was like anxious to train Aang immediately and waste zero time, and then once he did what he did, it seemed like he completely took a one eighty and just had a pride thing that sprung up. So that kind of annoyed me about, like, his conflicting, like, does he really want to train the Avatar for the better of the world, or was he just very prideful? And overall, I just thought he was just a bad trainer for Aang, just generally. So I'm, I'm not saying his character, you know, hurts the episode at all for me, but it was definitely something that I noticed. But, you know, overall, a very strong episode that, that, that lets you dive into just, like, like, really what's right, what's wrong, and, like, you know... Is there really a, a straight answer here? All right, Olivia, why don't you give us your initial thoughts? I, yeah, um, coming back to this, I feel like I'm kind of like Charles in that I'm coming back to this after years away, and I see so much there that I hadn't noticed when I was younger. Um, and part of that is indeed about um, Master Paku's culture. You know, we we can get into it, obviously, forever, but... Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I really kind of understand how this is the culture that others perceive as like backwards and they're perfectly fine to cast judgment about what he believes and what, where he's coming from, but we actually don't get to see a lot of why this culture is like this. So it's, it's really interesting that that choice was made. On top of that, I'm coming from the perspective of someone who has considered things like arranged marriages or who knows people who've had arranged marriages, which are really kind of sticky subjects. And I'm fascinated to see Katara's response to, uh, and her grandmother's response to what that means in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything people said. I think Corey hit the nail on the head, though, when he said that this, the sort of the setup of this episode, I think this is one of the best setup sort of 
pre-finale episodes I've ever seen where this episode does an amazing job of setting up the finale while also telling its own story that's very good and Mm self-contained and still getting us really excited for the finale and beginning to sort of get us into what this season has been about. Um, We spent so much time waiting to get to the Water Tribe. It's introduced in in the episode one. Aang says he's going to fly Qatar to the North Pole. And it takes us a really long time to get there, and we finally get there, and we get to see all this great stuff. We get to see Aang beginning to learn, you know, some more of waterbending. And we also get the Iroh, Zuko, and Zhao side of this, where we we see what is eventually going to become the major conflict of the finale with the Fire uh, Nation attack. And I think that Mm -hmm. they just do a phenomenal job of setting that up without making this episode purely set up where there's nothing nothing to this episode at all. there's no development. Because obviously... Yeah, because obviously there's a lot of um, major character development and major uh, world building, uh, as Charles uh, said. I think that this episode for me is a very interesting uh, case study when it comes to looking at how to put political and um, overtly social uh, issues into your show. And look, Avatar is a political show. It is a show with strong messages. There's no doubt about it. There are plenty of you know very, very fervent beliefs about uh, freedom and about, you know, the totalitarianism, etc. But for me, this is one of the few episodes that I think is written with the sole purpose of being socially conscious, where where they are directly commenting on sort of sexism and cultural um, the cultural issues that come with with equality for for women. Um, And I think it's it's important to look at that very carefully because sometimes I actually get upset with with shows that will do this because it'll feel like they're jamming a social issue in just to make a point and it doesn't have anything to do with the story. It doesn't make sense. And when I was young, I watched this episode and I like, oh, this was so great. We got to see equality, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started to think about this episode when looking at the podcast and I was saying, maybe this isn't as great as I thought. Maybe this is, is this just like jamming in sexism so that they can make a comment about it? I've had a lot of thought about it and we'll talk about um, uh, talk about the role, but I think in the end they pull it off correctly. But I do think it's very an important uh, thing to watch. Well, but... All right. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, well, Mitchell. I mean, if, if just, I guess, since we're gonna, we're gonna, we, we touch upon this, but... Is is it really solved though? If you, if you really think about it, right, in the sense of how was this it's how not, how no, was this it's conflict? It's not about being solved. Well, but how was how was this conflict regarding sexism? Right? How was it actually solved? You know, it's but no, because Mitchell, my point has nothing to do with whether it's solved or okay. not. I, that's not well, what, I'm but, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, uh-huh. go ahead. What I'm saying is, I don't. Sometimes I don't like when a show that is not purely a political show will jam an issue in purely to sort of comment on it. For example, a show like Scandal recently will have episode have had episodes that are blatantly about police shootings. And they kind of feel weird and out of place because it just seems like the writers wanted to say something about that. The episode doesn't make any sense. Whether I agree with the point they're trying to make or not isn't the, it doesn't work. The episode doesn't doesn't work. And and Arrow and yeah. Yeah. I don't fair want to turn enough. this into a CW bashing thing. <laughs> but um, suffice it to say, I, I, if if the sexism didn't work, and we will talk about whether or not it did, if, if the the premise of um, of what's going on didn't work, I would have a problem with it. In the end, I don't, but we will talk about that. Okay, fair enough. All right, 
So this episode uh, kicks off, and we have um, I, I think I think it was Mitchell uh, who said at the beginning about seeing the differences between the uh, southern and northern water tribes, and I think like right away you can see that where it's just like right in your face that the northern water tribe is so much bigger, so much more coordinated compared to um, the south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely no question of that at all, especially um, when looking at the entire structure of the entire place. I feel like, <laughs> like even there, they have the um, the canal essentially, like the, the whole canal system they have, and like the uh, the le- are they levees? It's like a levee system, like to rise yeah, the water. Yeah. And I'm like looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, "Whoa, this." It's amazing, and comparing it especially to the simple little igloo huts that mm-hmm. were I in mean, the South Pole. I mean, in a sense, it also shows the the influence of having number uh, of having a large number of waterbenders. I think mm-hmm. affects affects you know like how the two different nations, you know, like they develop in that sense. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure whether you know this is very clear or not, but. It, it does seem to be that the North Water Tribe has a lot more waterbenders. And mm-hmm. because yeah. of that, you know, they're able to, you know, create much more impressive structures because, you know, they have more people who can manipulate their surroundings to build stuff like that. Even, for example, you know, uh, the beginning for them to, you know, they need to, you know, like remove a part of the wall so that people can go in. You know, stuff like this is not something that you can do if, you know, you have you have limited resources. So, in a sense, it also does show, you know, the power behind, you know, having a large amount of vendors, in, you know, within your region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I'm looking at this culture that's that's got, you know, all of these structures, all of these canals, and all of these, you know, parts of the civic engineering of it um, that are controlled by water bending. And I'm thinking about, you know, Katara's village and... It's much more modest in a kind of literal sense as well. I don't think that they expect to have, you know, grand kind of temples or grand eating areas or, you know, um, anything like that. Not temples, uh, structures, I guess. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that kind of with the water bending power comes this um, different sense of what the community should look like and represent itself as, which I think also has to influence their cultural. Uh, traditions as well. Princess Yue is under a lot of pressure to um, behave in a certain way, partly because her people have this kind of physical expectation set. They have this giant city that she has to be the princess of, and Katara's from this little place with huts, and there's not so much pressure on her to to do exactly what's expected of a certain person of her stature. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, but I would be careful mm-hmm. with talking about. I mean, yes, there are obviously cultural differences, and and we'll talk about those. But I just be a little bit careful because remember, it's not like there weren't any waterbenders in the South Pole. They were all you know captured and killed in the last hundred years, and at this point, all of the fighting men are off fighting the war in the South. So, to some degree, it's I, I don't know if it's as much like that the South doesn't. I, I think the South has that some of that stuff culturally. I just think that right now they don't because of the. The state of the world and because of the, yeah. the I war. mean it, and we know eventually the south does get rebuilt and does become this sprawling 
much more modern, in fact, um, civilization compared to the north. But I mean, even then, if you're gonna take, you know, future the future uh, Southern Water Tribe, there's there still is a big difference. That mostly, you know, you can you can also say how you know the I guess the war itself has influenced the Northern Water Tribe to become the the city that it is because they are the I guess in a sense the last bastion for water for waterbenders or the water nation in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you can also you can also look at like the fact that the war. I mean, we talk a lot about like I think we in some of the episodes we had this whole discussion about like world trade. The one thing you can see, and then you talk about like the water tribes being cut off from each other. The fact that world trade is essentially stopped because of the Fire Nation impacts the fact that these two tribes that are theoretically connected and supposed to be apart with each other are just completely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a big part of the way the world the war is at this point. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, the other thing is you can also get a pretty clear sense of like how the fire, the, the, the Northern Water Tribe is able to survive like this war. I mean, besides the fact that you can kind of expect maybe the Fire Nation didn't have as much reason to attack. There's not the same level of natural resources, etc. But you can also sort of get the sense of like, it's pretty hard to invade just this, you know, frozen tundra, ice and water. And, and they're going to have these huge advantages, clearly. Um, like, you know, you, you kind of, it kind of builds on that. So it, it sort of makes the, when we talk about going in forward with this, this invasion, it kind of makes sense that, yeah, th- these people have survived a while. They're not like, it, it doesn't make, it makes sense. You, you know what's something I think too? Um, I think that the roles of the Northern and Southern water tribe are kind of backwards. You would think like a more like organized city would be more of like the, I, I, I guess I'll have to use the word, but like liberal ones in terms of that type of thing, while the, the southern one, where they aren't that, they're more nomads, would be the ones that have more, like, um, you know, of, like, the, the rules on women and, and other more conservative things. So I, I think, like, at least the way I look at it, that the roles of the two cities are, are the two poles are reversed. Actually, I think you it think makes so? perfect sense because mm-hmm. the structure for the Northern Water Tribe is, is a monarchy, right? And uh, generally yeah. there tends to be structured rules and, you know, customs that are that go with a monarchy. You know, people expect to, you know, like at the very basic, you know, worship their, you know, worship their royalty. And, you know, royalty kind of dictates what traditions are, you know, what traditions are, you know, define their culture pretty much. Well, there's like other kingdoms, though, like the Earth no, Kingdom no, and even the Fire. The Northern Water Tribe, well, I'd argue, is more yeah, like a city-state. Yeah, but the Fire Kingdom is, I, I don't know. Nation. Yeah, the Fire Nation is... The Fire Nation is much is purely totalitarian. Yeah, uh, the Fire Lord is, purely is, is as absolute a monarch as uh-huh. you can have. And um, the Earth Kingdom is like d- a divided monarchy where the Earth King, or in this case, whoever represents the Earth King because of the Dai Li, is sort of has pretty much complete control within Bossing Yeah, Se, but they don't have but control. Outside of that, it becomes yeah, it becomes more almost like a feudal system would be the best uh-huh. sort of way I would say with like vassals and like lesser kings. Yeah. Um, and then smaller governments within each each town. Um, the water tribe governments, obviously we know the north. Hakoda is referred to as Chief Hakoda. So I'm going to take it on face value that the southern water tribe is also a tribal system with a chief. Uh-huh. Um, you know, is it hereditary? I, th- I think it is because, you know, we Sokka is eventually referred to as a chief as well. So it, it, sound, it seems like it is, but it's we don't have as much information. I mean, I mean traditions pretty... are, are, you know, I guess 
if you, if I want to explain, I I always feel like the Water Tribe is tradition is what defines them, right? They're def defined by customs and traditions. I feel like that's the best way to put it put it down. You know, that's that's how I've always you know like from all the all I've seen of the, of the different Water Tribes, that's that's what really defines them for me. So I think for me, it's more about community. Yeah, but yeah. Fair enough, but. I think they're definitely the most spiritually in touch out of everyone, for sure. Mm. Especially with like Help their other the Avengers, air. Yeah. 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 Well, they're kind of gone, so. They're all dead. They don't... Too soon, guys. Too soon. Just a hundred years. I mean, there's one left. Yeah. yeah now he's back. Yeah, there is. Yep. Well, well he's back. back. It comes. Oh, God. Dead people jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as a quick aside, I, I did say I think someone might have mentioned it, but my God, does the Northern Water Tribe itself just look incredible? Like definitely mm -hmm. on par, <laughs> if not better than Omashu. Yeah. With just it screens water bending. It's a true city. It just it looks so unbelievably cool. And I, I, From, like, I love I love yeah. Go ahead, Corey. I love the contrast with the lighting too. Like mm -hmm. when it's mm -hmm. nighttime, but it's still like glowing, like it's a night glow. It, and yeah. like I, I like the reflection of the the moon on the snow. It's just mm -hmm. like everything about just the city is like spot on for me. Especially, I think this is probably the best lit episode yeah. in at least that we've seen. I don't know. It might be some coming forward, but definitely the ones we've seen. The lighting in this is probably the best. Especially, Lynn, you want to say that? Um, yeah, especially just from the uh, whole design standpoint, the visuals of the entire city I just found to be so beautiful, and I totally saw like influences of um. Venetian architecture and uh, city design, which I thought was an amazing thing to bring into this, especially because the uh, similarities between the ge geographic locations of the uh, Northern Water Tribe surrounded by water and Venice incorporating the water in their everyday lives. And so I thought, mm -hmm. oh my God, like architecturally, like 10 out of 10 would That's recommend. really cool. I was thinking exactly that as well with the canals and the uh, mm -hmm. transportation by boat. And I was thinking... What's, what's awesome about the difference is that here the water tribe, they're very steady. They're not sinking, you know, they're not overcome yeah. by the water, but they're mastering it literally in every sense. Um, so you don't get that same sense of like, oh, Venice is beautiful, but it is sinking. It's, but it, it's, it's going old. under. <laughs> yeah, basically. But you don't see that with these because they've, they, they've mastered their element literally and they know exactly where they are and they're steady. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just, I love places where you can look at it and just go, yep, that's a water bin. Like, yeah. That's it. You no, know, you don't need any explanation. It's just very clear. Um, so we get to the, the initial um, festival where they're welcomed. And this is a very important scene. Uh, I mean, I've, I've talked at length about, you know, anytime I get to see a glimpse of airbender culture, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And the same applies here, getting to see the culture. We've talked a little bit about it so far, but just the tightly knit community, the spirituality, the sort of weaving in a little bit of prayer, a little bit of, uh, you know, that, that spirituality into this welcome, you know, comparing that to some of the other festivals we've seen, it, it, it's definitely different. Um, and in reality, I mean, this is this is a big a big deal. It's setting up the entire plot of the episode. It's setting up the differences between North and South, which is you know going to be a big deal here. It, it, I mean, it also sets up all of Book Two of Korra, you know, for better or worse. But it, you know, it's a it's a big it's a big part of it. And I think that this 
you know, this this festival just does such a great job of it. I, I also love how the Northern and uh, Southern Water Tribe's clothing is subtly different. They're, they're definitely mm-hmm. similar enough, but there are differences in color that you can kind of tell which one is which. And I think that that's a nice sort of, yeah, they're similar, but they're also not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I, uh, I think it's nice as well that they welcome uh, Sokka and Katara as, you know, brother and sister, as they're, they're part of the same people, but not, you know, that they're visiting mm-hmm. from another land. I yeah. thought that was just interesting because, I mean, you know, uh, there are a lot of the places, obviously, that you can go and everybody's distrusting of this group of kids wandering around. But here they're like, oh, would, we know who here, you are and you're you're one of us. So we'll treat you like that. Here's a question. Would they would that have happened if they weren't with Aang? I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> yes. I don't see why not. I feel like especially with the I mean, your war going on. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have. Been, I feel like they wouldn't have been received as grand as grandiose. Grandly, yeah. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. as grandly or with such grandeur, but they would definitely still be taken in, you know, just for the fact that they're, you know, they're, um, I guess, fellow, not tribesmates, the tribesmates or nation mates or I don't know, same nation. Tribesmates. Yeah, they're tribesmen. also though the grandkids, but they're not the same who tribe. Ran away. That's the thing. They are two. They don't know that. They don't know that. They don't know that. They don't really know that. But it it, it is kids cool. Kids don't because, even know that. Yeah. It is cool because I think it's the first. Te- it's, a, it's one of the first times where, you know, they really feel like, uh, it's a it's a good sense of belonging in a sense, you know. Mhm. Mhm. Um, another little uh, nice bit is that we get a little bit of bending for beauty. Um, you know, we get a pure bending for entertainment, bending for beauty. Um, which obviously fits water bending very well. Uh, we saw it in the Fire Nation festival as well. So you, you know, kind of see that in this world, in the, sort of these festivals, this is a pretty common thing. Uh, but I liked it a lot. I think that we often get caught up in the fight scenes, which sometimes are amazing. Uh, but it's nice to just get to see a little bit of, wow, these are water benders who are practicing their craft just to be good at their craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's. Well, I, I mean, I... the war is still a real threat for them, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. It's, it's not that they're not learning how to fight. It's just that very often, like, for the most part, we see bending in the context of fighting. Just getting to see it for just exclusively for its own beauty was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Well, more, it's more like martial arts in a sense, if you... I, I mean, from what I know from martial arts, you know, obviously, you no, know, there's the whole combat aspect of it, but a lot of it is also, you know, for... Uh, a lot of it is done as presentation as well, especially... Uh, I know Kung Fu, you know, like people, uh, there are times where people go to like, uh, where, you know, they go to present or even in the like Chinese New Year's festivals and stuff, you know, they have people who spend the whole year practicing just to present at this place. And, you know, and it's a show of excellence. Uh, You know, it's sort of like how there are military parades and stuff. I think it's the same concept. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, there's something to that, too. But it it just it's just a nice contrast um, is what I'm what I'm saying. Um, Sokka begins his um, hitting on of UA and oh my. <laughs> he is so unbelievably good at this like you don't think he is but two for two he's man smooth. he's two for two <laughs> uh, but I think this is an example of like this is not a believable relationship at least from where I stand at least at the moment right now like you know what I'm saying no. actually it's not like I, something no, that I, I, can, I can agree with that actually it does make sense because 
if you really think about it, if if there's such a if they're a country that's or a nation that's so based on culture, you know, where they have strict rules about bending, they would they really let you know just anyone, you know, you know, yeah. with, with the princess in that sense. You're gonna meet up at night on a bridge, sure. Go yeah. ahead, I, casual. <laughs> with that said, though, I think that it does make some degree of sense that when you're in this like really tightly knit community. Um, you've probably, you know, UA's probably knows almost everyone her own age the entirety of their lives. There's something a little bit different about this sort of, you know, good-looking warrior from the South showing up with a little bit of swagger. You know, you, you can kind of tell, like, it's probably... And also, this is somebody who has been expecting an arranged marriage from I mean, day I'm one, not critiquing, so she's probably never... I'm not critiquing, I'm not critiquing the, the, the romance part. I'm sure that, you know, like the chemistry... Well, is, I'm more responding to Corey, yeah, who I think the, is the, ro- the, the chemistry the is there. Just I think that the whole concept of her, of letting her, you know, like get along with someone else is a little uh, It's unlikely. also kind of... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, I'm, that's about it. I was just going to say, like, I agree with Mitchell that, like, in terms of how they are able to talk and meet up, it seems a little strange that they're so lax about how who she's speaking to. Um, but I, I kind of agree with Corey as well in a sense that this is a very, it's like an archetype in, in just storytelling in general where you have this princess who's kind of cloistered away and then sees this, you know, fascinating person from outside of her world and it's like, oh, I want to be swept up in that. And that's kind of what... That's the basis of their romance, and that's kind of it. And we get it because that makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, are you really ready to give away or to risk all of this um, expectation and this marriage that you're waiting for because you're excited about this stranger, this romantic kind of stranger? I mean, she is pretty conflicted about yeah. it. It's not like she just immediately jumps in the sack. <laughs> no, of course. But I think it's implied that she doesn't just have a crush. It's kind of a big deal for her. It gets there, yeah. yeah. It's also a love at first sight trope, like Disney does. Literally, Sokka, <laughs> the second Sokka laid eyes on her, they may as well have just had the, the music and the parts and the. I, I well, don't unfortunately, know. Unfortunately, it's so not as though they have time I, I, to Corey, develop that. I think that. you underestimate just how unbelievably attractive Sokka must be. <laughs> no, yeah, Sokka. you know the, the skinny, <laughs> the skinny, the skinny guy. <laughs> like. Again, also okay. You can't argue with results. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> if you really think about it, how long have they been traveling? You know, without really getting a proper bath, uh, you know, uh. a proper bath, rest, and whatnot. Oh yeah, he he's definitely a stud coming out. You know. Dude, well, we know that there are no bat there are no bathhouses in the northern air temples. So no, like, I agree with Mark. Week. Like it makes sense that like uh, a princess who's been like in a tight knit like conservative community would like gush over like the new guy from the that, that makes sense but then at least play it off the fact that they're just attracted to each other don't make it like a whole like you're destined to be mine i love you like spiritually but, we're also connected but they're uh, not yeah. it's not what happens like no. she's clearly it's kind of attracted to them they hang out a little bit and then she goes i can't be with you yeah. and like yeah. that should be it and then obviously we'll get to the end we'll talk about that and then keep in mind like a lot of their actual romance we start to see like next week when like Sokka like takes her up on Appa and like kind of quote does things with her. Like I don't, I don't think it's quote unquote like love at first sight and that's that. Like yeah, obviously. Well, she's infatuated because he's, it's a he's romance that different. goes across three episodes, so it's not like mm-hmm. you know hanging a guitar where it's just this massive slow burn. But I, I wouldn't, I don't want to like, I don't think it's it's fair to like be like wow they just like 
Yep, she just in love with him instantaneously. Like, I feel like he kind of hits on her and she kind of responds a little bit. And then it, you know, and then all of the social implications of it kind of come apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think someone needs to use the line do an activity together, though. I think, <laughs> I think that's a good That's thing. how I'll start that's flirting with people from now on. Hey, hey so- how are Sokka, you? Sokka has do an bad activity? game. All right. <laughs> All right, so it wouldn't be a Thoughts from Out Woo episode without me saying, Aang, you got to get your shit together, man. Like, you get to the North Pole, and Poppy's like, all right, let's train. And this is like two episodes after begging Zhang Zhang to train you in firebending. You'd be like, well, we're just going to rest for a couple days. I have a day days. off, even though I haven't started yet. And it's yet. like, no, Aang, get your ass up and sun up and learn waterbending. Like, no, but I, oh my I, God. I, I feel like you've slept in this one. What? I actually sympathize with Aang in this one. Dude, yeah, at the start of the episode... coming into the city. <laughs> yeah, they've been on Appa am... for two, three days straight. They've got no food, no fucking... I understand that, and this is not a really bad Aang get-your-shit-together moment. It's just, <laughs> it's just like another reminder of, like, everyone else knows how bad this situation in the world is, but not Yeah, Aang. I feel like Aang doesn't... You, you don't really see how... How, I mean, up to this point, you know, he's kind of aloof, right? And oh, well, he was listening to soccer. Yeah. And um, well, I think that it'll change though, in a few episodes, because yeah, yeah, because, well, uh, shit goes down and turning then into a he, giant spirit. Monster I think, I think that, that <laughs> I think. Well, the the point is that you know, like, it, it is still part of his uh road to to growing up in a sense because he hasn't really had that chance yet. And, you know, I think that once he's faced with big adversity, you know, that it really goes uh, goes on to show how he matures from it. So I think it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's understandable why he's like this because, you know, oh, you, you, like, yes, you we, know there's a war, right? But when, and... You, Mitchell, you don't need to explain yeah. this one. We This is like our topic every single <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah, we are aware of what it is. It just, it just might, I like to sort of say this. On a serious note, though, about the conversation between Paku and Aang, um, I think that you get to see a lot of Paku's uh, personality like very quickly. Like you can tell that this is this no nonsense guy. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of some similarities to the sort of similar to Zhang Zhang in the sort of same like no nonsense. We're just gonna you know we're, I'm gonna teach you the way I'm gonna teach you and that's that. Um, but obviously you know very different in terms of not without the self loathing and any of that stuff. Um, but it just it, it it does show in terms of like the world, you know, forgetting Aang, just that you know Paku recognizes. All right, you're here. It's time. You need to learn discipline. You need to be good at you know. You need to sit down and master this. Well, and that's just how it's going to be. We were also just talking about how there's this huge water bending presence, and can we safely assume that Master Paku has a hand in the training of every single person in the city who's doing water bending? That's a lot of people. You know, and he's kind of responsible for the way that they do waterbending everywhere. That's got all this responsibility, doesn't have all the time in the world. I would be, that makes a lot of sense for him to react that way. Yeah, I mean, he's probably like a grandmaster of sorts. Yeah, I don't assume like he's individually teaching everybody, but he's still got a lot of responsibility already. It's hard hard to say, like, are there other masters and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that? I don't know. Um, one small complaint, though, about this moment that I think is just, it just exists, is why is Katara not, like, 
The only reason Katara is not here is to set up the reveal and the fight later mm-hmm. on. But from like a logic perspective, is there any way Katara is not going with Aang to talk to the waterbending master? Like she's more excited to learn this than he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't this at the festival? Didn't they call him up? Yeah. Uh, Maybe, I guess. It seemed like it was kind of off to the side. Yeah. Like Aang may have approached him. Like I understand Aang being the first one. Like, oh, of course he's the Avatar. I mean, it he's might have just come up. Yeah. It just, it just, it just, it was one of those things where it kind of felt like they just obviously wanted to have the reveal and the big fight at Sun Up and all that, and it just kind of it, that felt a little bit like, all right, let's just do this to to, to make it work. Oh, yeah, he I, was introduced to. Yeah. Like uh, the chieftain brought him over and was like, "This yeah. is your student." Not the yes. other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, switching gears, because we do have a little bit of a uh, Zhao, Iroh, uh, Zuko plot. Um, I, I, I like the little bit of like subtle reminder about the blue spirit and you know just kind of keeping that going. And like for the most part, we're not going to see the blue spirit again you know, until Zuko begins uh, you know, robbing some Earth Kingdom people. Um <laughs> Like for the mo- for the most part, the blue spirit's done, but mm-hmm. it's, it's it's nice to sort of keep that in that kind of reminder um, mind, and also like it, it helps bring up the sort of question of like, did Zhao always suspect Zuko, or did he fir- like was this confirmation? Does he you know begin to suspect Zuko here? And also, when does Zhao make the decision to try and kill Zuko? Is that is he is seeing the swords like oh my god, he is the blue spirit, I can kill him, he's a traitor. Um, you know, it, it, for me, it's a very interesting, like, sort of looking at Zhao's psychology and, and how seeing the spears and or seeing the swords and, and sort of putting two, two and two together about the blue spirit comes about. I mean, this is Zhao, right? We've kind of went over him as the sh- show as, like, the stereotypical bad, bad guy. He's just bad for basically yeah. bad sake. And, uh... Yeah. Given that characterization, I don't think it'd be that uh, out of the realm of possibility for him to have just wanted to kill Zuko from even prior to this meeting. Just like get everybody else off the ship, try and um, you know get Iroh to his side, and then mm-hmm. whatever happens, well, I'll just you know blow the ship up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the hell was that? What is is this? What is it? What is it? I'm assuming that that was Corey something off of his TV. Um, That wasn't me. Whatever. No, all right. Well, then, I don't know. So we get to the the initial confrontation. Uh, We talked about the lighting. I I think the the lighting here with the sunrise is really good. Um, And now we're going to get to the central question of the episode. And this is where I'm going to kind of pose this question. But I want to run through how I feel about this first and then let you guys uh, respond and I'll just kind of go around the room. Um, does it make sense that the Northern Water Tribe doesn't teach women waterbending at this point? Because if you think about it from like in the context of the entire world and the context of the history of this world, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense that this has always been a thing. There have definitely been female avatars from the Northern water tribe who needed to have learned waterbending. So there's no way that 
this has been in in place forever because we know that there are female avatars. Every fourth one is from the Water Tribe. Half are from the North, half are from the South, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to have been female waterbender, female water, uh, female avatars. Sorry, from the Northern Water Tribe. So, in the end, this can't be something that has existed forever. But it could have existed, and the way I tend to look at it is, this is probably something that has come about in the last three to five hundred years, um, sometime towards the end of Kyoshi, essentially. Mm-hmm. That the timing kind of works out on that, and if that's the case, I think it makes sense. I think it's okay. Like five hundred years is enough time for it to be completely culturally ingrained and totally um, a part of the entire, you know, a part of everything for pretty much everyone to accept it as gospel without even really remembering it. But I want to pose this around the room. Does this this plot make sense? So let's start. Charles, start us off. Um, you can make it make sense if you want to. <laughs> you can also make it not make sense if you want to. Uh, I think, yeah, we, you just said Kiyoshi is like three to five hundred years prior to the show. Um, so in theory that's enough time but practically does it make sense that they wouldn't have had people a women learning water bending at the beginning of the hundred years war i mean that's like, the question now there's not I mean, a prison they don't see a clear and present danger right but mm-hmm. back then when the fire nation was i guess more actively aggressive Mm-hmm. Would that have been the case? And then the the other side of I, that is, well, you were talking about the odds, right? So it's uh, one in every four, but then it's half from the north, half from the south, so one out of every eight, and they'd also have to there's be been, females. We've so. had ten thousand. We know that there's been ten thousand years worth of avatars, and let's say on average they live to be a hundred. That's still a thousand avatars. No, no, I know. So what I'm saying is like, well, okay, if it was from like a long time ago then it's feasible that this was going on from a long time we we have no idea what the uh distribution was it's like a half of a one eighth chance right so one sixteenth mm-hmm. so a thousand years at a thousand six hundred years at max yeah um but i mean for the point of this episode i don't really have an issue with it it kind of bothered me re-watching it because it's like well does it make sense? I mean, obviously they have stuff to contribute, but and then how did the healers learn to heal? They're using water bending to do that too, right? So was it like an inherent skill that? Well, we do we do know that Katara figures like just kind of the healing comes to her, like it. Yeah, but know, she's like a prodigy, her. right? Like. That's, That's just, true. So it is, it, it's comp- it, You're right. It's complicated. There's there's so difficult. There must have been a point where it wasn't a thing. It's what I'm trying to get at. But yes, I would has it that. been the thing? Has it been a thing long enough for this to be like a entire society that has this bias? Yeah, I could I could buy it. What if it's yeah. just a... all right, okay. Mitchell? Yeah, Mitchell, uh, go ahead. Does does this well, make sense? I was thinking about it in a different way. What if this is you know a personal preference? I mean. This is just a conjecture, right? But what if this is just something that the current grandmaster gets to decide, or maybe it's part of the war? There's, or maybe it's part of the war effort, like kind of like Charles put it in the sense, the I mean, if you really think about it, the the Northern Water Tribe isn't an immediate danger, right? 
and but maybe in the past when they were when they were fighting you know they maybe they wanted to preserve the women so that you know they could continue you know maybe they felt that their the nation was in danger so they wanted to preserve the women and put them in more supportive roles so you know they became healers you know that's a possibility um maybe you know i think my my problem with that though is that it seems and, and maybe i'm wrong but it seems like this is culturally ingrained it seems well, like it, this is it not... might be it might be just for like, the fact that women have a natural you know they have the they have the ability to heal right so because they I, can heal so when you think about it that way because they can heal it makes more sense that women are naturally geared towards you know healing as opposed to fighting because uh in a sense you know healing is as important as having as having fighters you know if you know what i mean you're 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 right but my point being is that it this is this it feels like this is not something if this has existed for the last 70 years or so which is the sort of point of like oh at the start of the 100 years war uh you know 70 80 years then there's people alive who remember it. It just it starts to it doesn't seem like it's culturally Man, ingrained. Like it, this, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels culturally ingrained. So okay, Mitchell, is there anything else you want to say on that before? I'm I collecting my thoughts, but you, you can you can All right. yeah, you can go. All right, Olivia, All right, Olivia go uh, ahead. I just kind of wanted to respond to what you were saying about it being whether or not it's culturally ingrained, and I'm thinking I'm thinking about like the next few episodes, and we know from that that on a spiritual level, a lot of their kind of beliefs and a lot of their, you know, the things that they feel very strongly about are kind of connected to that idea of yin and yang, right? Um, that sort of spiritual balance, right? And we know that yin and yang is also kind of a symbol of male and female um, modalities, energies. I don't know how exactly yeah. how you want to define it. but. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking maybe it's, well, there's, I think Mitchell does make a good point that if you have people who you're training to fight, it only makes sense that you would have a reserve of people who are prepared to heal, and which is just as complicated and worthy of knowledge. Um, but also I'm wondering if it's kind of like a spiritual slash religious um, thing, wherein you're not necessarily repressing, but you're kind of honoring the separate and both respectable roles of a female lifestyle and a male lifestyle. Not saying that you should ever force that on somebody, but it may even be just part of that spiritual culture, if not, you know, a forced mandated out of necessity tradition. Actually, I just I just remember something I wanted to point out. I think that Charles brought up as to, you know, if they're learning how to how to heal, then they know how to bend, right? What if the teaching that you know uh, they want to they want to pass on, for example, that Aang wants to learn, it's strictly fighting, right? Fighting with water bending. But maybe you know the general population they learn the basics of water bending, and you know you know what it is but if you want to learn like advanced skills maybe you know like strictly you know for the purpose of of fighting someone then maybe that's you know more geared towards men and you know women you know because of their natural ability to heal or you know i i, I forgot what the name is but you're, they're you're both making you're both making very very valid points about like why these things are the way they are but my essential question is does it make sense that in a society like this, women are not taught to fight? Yes. So you're saying yes. All yes. right. That's. I, I just want to. All right. Um, Linz, go ahead. Sorry, did you say me? Yes, you. Um. 
I honestly don't really know. And I know, like, that's... That's fine. But I, it, it, this is all conjecture. But. The, I've just also kind of been thinking about something in terms of, um, especially... I, I don't remember who said it earlier, but someone was talking about how shouldn't it be reversed in that the southern water tribe treats the women as, um, I don't know, like, kind of, like, reverse the roles. And I, I kind of see it almost as because of almost, like, the comforts that the northern water tribe has had. It's they're They know that they're pretty much safe from the Fire Nation. They... They're, uh, they're extremely strong people. They get along with each other fine. Like, they don't really find themselves too much in danger. So they kind of create a society in which they can have the luxury to have this almost type of little world removed from itself. And I think in doing that, they end up creating this type of society in which they're like, okay, well... Guys, go on and fight. Ladies, you're going to heal. Like, there's no real need for them to really consider needing women warriors. Like, they don't need any... That might kind of make sense. Yeah, because it, it doesn't yeah. feel like they're a wartime society. It's sort of yeah. like... They're, un, they're, they're in war, but well, mm-hmm. the city itself doesn't feel like they're... Everyone, you know, it's the it's the war effort. You know, I guess yeah. is the way you put it. And I, that does kind of, that's kind of like my opinion or like my kind of thought process in which maybe that's why they're doing it i think probably that i don't really know when that happened but that just makes the most sense for me so so, so you're taking the opposite approach and saying that the reason that it's the reason that women aren't bending is because they're essentially not at war i mean they are you know maybe legally yeah for the most part they're not at war so they don't need women to fight yeah Yeah, i I feel like successfully invaded them in a while right I mean, yeah, that's I true. feel like just probably, and in the past, probably also, again, because they're so far removed from everyone, they're not, like, a prime target like the Earth Kingdom would be. But why does that, how and, does that not apply to the South just as much? That's a good question. Maybe it's I, a And we know the South has female, we know the South has female waterbenders who fight. But don't they just have fewer people in well, general, too? Yeah, they don't even have, they don't not have anyone. right now, yes, but I'm talking about back in, oh, okay. back in you know, years ago. I'm, I mean, looking at the episode The Puppet Master, when we got to see the raids of the Southern Water Tribe, we know Hama's a female waterbender who was fighting. They were being captured, so... Oh, I, I'm just, that was like, the bloodbending how, episode, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Was the oh, I forgot about that one. So, like, okay. I, I just think that, that that equally applies um... I don't know. All right. I, don't know, uh, that was my... I mean, it might be yeah. it might be a concept developed within the Northern Water Tribe, right? Because if they're, I mean, they're pretty secluded. You have to remember that. So you know, and in in a sense, you know, they 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 might have adapted to. Okay, well, we're going to be fine behind their walls. There's no real reason to leave. So you know, they develop their own, you know, like structure and you know, like cultural value. Like although they might be, you know, part of a bigger you know, like set of cultural values, you know, within the Northern Water Tribe, you know, they created their own, you know, like variety within this within this culture. So, you know, for them, maybe there isn't as much of a necessity for women to fight just because, you know, they're safe within the walls. You know, men can man, you know, the walls and whatnot, and women can take care of the, of you know, the people who need to be taken care of. 
know, because they they have security within. So there's no real reason to you know make uh, to force everyone to fight in that sense. But they're not they're not for this is the opposite. This is forcing people not to fight. This is saying we have rules on the books that say women are forbidden. I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. All right, Corey, yeah. I, you're the last one to give your so. Do you think that this whole thing makes sense? So I touched on it earlier on uh, at the beginning of the episode when I gave my initial thoughts, and now I actually think about it, and you know, after hearing you guys talk, and I actually reversed what I said earlier on. So I think it makes sense uh, for the Northern Border Tribe because they are um, very, forget the word spiritual, you could even just say they're religious, they obviously worship the moon, and I think it would make sense in, in a culture that's very spiritual, religious. I, I have to be like very, I guess, conservative and have these like very strict customs. And to go back on your previous point, how it doesn't make sense because there's obviously been avatars that were waterbenders, especially from the Northern Water Tribe. Obviously, I would think there would be an exception if it's the avatar who would have to master our four elements because that's like its own thing entirely. And now it also makes sense to me how the Southern Water Tribe, who are more nomadic and require everyone to be giving their all, especially women Wait. to. What? But wait, wait, wait. When you say that they're more nomadic, the only, yes, in the context of these, the last 30 years, but we do not know that prior to that. We don't know anything about no, the Southern I'm Water Tribe. No, I'm saying for the last 30 years. Um, that's what, I, that's what I'm, I'm getting. I'm not saying for all of history, but I'm saying that's why I think it's, it makes more sense that the Northern Water Tribe would keep these customs because they're more of a city protected and they, they, they're more united, I think, while the Southern Water Tribe needed to make changes for necessity. Does that make sense? All right. All right. That's, um, that's fair. The war, so maybe the war overall, just hit the, so the South it, a lot harder. I mean, it did. Yeah. And it is a little bit closer to the Fire Nation yeah, than the North. So, I mean, um, if you put it that way, it, it makes a lot of sense as to why, you know, there's so much more, I guess, the, the even the surroundings are much more aggressive, you know, like, you know, women have to fight and whatnot because they're constantly, you know, within 100 years, they might have been constantly under siege until, you know, they were pretty much, been. yeah, so, you know, they were beaten up to pretty much having nothing left. And that's why, like, I reversed it. That's why I completely understand why the, the Northern Water Tribe would have it still and the, the Southern would not. And I, I don't think I, – I, I kind of see what you're saying, where I think Avatar wanted to tackle a controversial issue and a social issue and really bring it to the forefront. But I don't think it's the main reason this is now a thing that you see with the Northern Water Tribe and now it's in the episode. And I think it just makes sense just for a storytelling aspect as well. You know, I and, and as I said, I, I think that it does. I think that in the end, it, it does make sense, and I, I don't have a problem with it. The reason that I throw this question around, though, is because I think it is vitally important to for it to make sense. And if it doesn't, then I think this episode really could fall apart, and it's like, okay, they tried to tackle a social issue, but why did they do that? I think it makes sense, and I think it works. But I, I just wanted to throw that around to everyone to sort of gauge how you guys thought about how this. How long are we um, thinking that it would take a concept like this to become culturally um, normal? Like a yeah. norm? Two to three generations? Yeah. Because yeah. thinking further on it, Xiao comments that North, the Northern Water Tribe is, you know, ridiculously hard to siege. But that yeah. implies that the Fire Nation tried it already. They've only been at. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They've yeah. only mm -hmm. been at war for a hundred years, so that imp. Hundred years is a long time. Well, 
three generations? Yeah. Or, no. But that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, oh they, no, my point, I think this has definitely been in place way longer than just the war. I, I, I don't, I, there's no way it's only been a hundred years. Okay, yeah. so, so. I'm just wondering you, why, like. No, so I'm thinking, if, do you think then that during the initial sieges that they attempted on the Northern Water Tribe, they did not, you know, give people or give women emergency training into how to fight? No, I don't. You think don't so. think so? I, I, think I, that, I don't think no, they they don't. don't they got to the walls, or they if they did, you know, it was it wasn't like it it wasn't like a very, you know, a very strong siege because if you it, we don't we don't you know don't, the we, answer we don't that, know though. we obviously don't know but if you we, think about all it, all we know is they did fight eighty five years ago. We know eighty five years ago they have Fire Nation weapons and uniforms. Yeah. So. Uh, so they got close, but we, we don't we don't know. So it, it's hard to speculate exactly what yeah. the maybe Fire maybe Nation it was invasion. Maybe there just been. has been no need, because I feel like the, it just it goes to show, right? I think that the fact that women, I mean, and maybe this is just me uh, conjecting a little bit too much, but uh, if it goes to show that the Water Nation has had no need to you know make everyone you know participate in the war effort. I, I don't think this is about. Yeah. This is a question of neither, though. Th this is way more spiritual and cultural than. Yeah, oh, we definitely. need more fighters. Well, but Th this is definitely a, a something fundamental to their culture. Yeah, but we and also I think know that, that that could be one could be informed by the other. Just well, if you if you work in general. I mean, from Korra, we know that the North has always been traditionally the more spiritually attuned. Uh, you know, like side of the side of the coin, so maybe that. Well, the actual the the points they make in court say that af it's after the Hundred Years' War when the South was rebuilt is when the spiritual degrade degradation. Well, happened. it probably started because there was no there was not much of a society yes, left. There was none. Yeah. There was nothing in the South. Yeah. Um. All right. So we spent a lot of time on that. So I want I want to kind of move on a little bit away from specifically the sexism in this point we'll obviously come back to it um but i want to talk a little bit about uh comparing Sokka and katara when it comes to the way they interact with their master in um initially and how kind of both of them there there's, there's a very interesting similarity in the lines where when pian dao when Sokka's like on his knees begging pian dao um Pian Dao says to him, like, let me guess, you've traveled hundreds of miles where you're the best swordsman in town, and now you've come to train with the master. And, like, this sort of idea of, like, that's what all these people have mm -hmm. done. And it's interesting because that's what Katara's argument is. Like, I've come hundreds of miles. I'm the best and the only waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe. I deserve to learn. You need to teach mm -hmm. me. And it's sort of interesting that Sokka, like, like that scene is a disparaging part of Sokka. Where Sokka, where he's saying, no, 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 that's not my story. I've, you know, I know I have a lot to learn. I, I'm, I don't think I'm worthy. While for Katara, it's I'm worthy. Train me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Katara knows she's good, right? Yeah. I mean, in a sense, when you, I mean, in a sense, when you know that you have, you know, talent for it, and this, you know, also proven, you know, from multiple occasions where she's fended her herself as a waterbender i think that uh she has a desire for i guess power in a sense and she she can see it within her grasp 
So, you know, like, and, and I think that her initial goal has always been to go to the Northern Tribe to learn from a master there. No, I know. I, I Yeah, but I, it just shows you the differences between yeah. the, the, the two siblings. Yeah. I think they're also at different points in their own, like, personal character development at that time, right? Like, Sokka, yeah. as we meet him initially, he's kind of rash kind of thinks like he's a big shot but as he travels the world more like he gets more competent but as he does he kind of realizes where he's yeah like where he's lacking like he's not the best he's not that he finds yeah and like when he meets pandao is near the end of the series actually like yeah yeah it's in i know it's in yeah so it's like at that point, humility is like book three, episode four, I think, or something. Like I, that. I forget where. I know it's clearly in book three because they're in the Fire Nation. Yeah, all of that, but um, yeah. So it's like, would Katara, had Katara met with uh, Haku near the end of the show? Do you think she would have had the same kind of reaction? It's hard to I, say I, because we don't because Katara's character changes so much based on this yeah. that who what she would she I have no idea what what she would have been like if she hadn't. I mean, I feel like a, water a lot of things would have sure. gone a lot different because she wouldn't. Yeah, she wouldn't have been the one teaching Aang eventually. I think that, but I don't know. Like you obviously grow and develop, and both of them are at different stages of that development. But I think Charles made a good point that they do have very different natures that do stick with them. And if Katara had managed to go even, like she says, I went around the world, but if she managed to travel even more and encountered many more experiences wherein she had to teach herself how to keep herself alive, I think her pride would have been hurt. And she is, while she's able to be modest, I think that she's proud of herself. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it would definitely, I think, still be hurtful to her to have somebody that she has admired from afar to say that you're not worthy of being taught, even though you've gone through all this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's hard to say because it just it's hard to see know what Katara's character right. would be like if she didn't. Well, go I think she would have she would have managed even without a teacher. Yeah, but she's, I yeah. think she's good enough that she would have become, you know. Oh, yeah. a self-taught master. But there's a, but there's a, but there's a lot to Katara's character that that changes in between this episode and the next when she begins to gain because you know like Katara is as much as she is like obviously confident she is pretty tentative early on like the fact that she learned from a master like really helps like spur her confidence and I also think that Katara is the type of person who is very like is the type of person that needs a little bit of a push and then once she gets that it, it will rocket her forward but you kind of see that like early on she sort of struggles a little bit with water bedding it takes her a while to get it and is obviously a little bit more naturally gifted but then the moment she gets the push from Paku she immediately speeds ahead yeah and I think that's like and, and later on she says it in the episode with Pian Dao where she says you know she wouldn't she doesn't know where she would be without you know learning from Master Paku so um like you gotta you just gotta be careful with speculating on okay. that okay um, so then, you know, obviously the, the fight happens and Aang says that he's, he's not going to learn. And for me, this is a major, major Kat Aang moment. And the reason it is, is for 
everything about this episode, which is obviously very focused on Katara, very much about Katara's sort of personal struggles and, and, and her trying to fight for acceptance. Um, the one thing that you can tell very clearly here is that she, even though she's dreamed about watermen her whole life, even though that she all she wants to do is learn to fight and learn from this master, she knows Aang's place in the world, and she knows that in this moment her um, own journey needs to take a back seat because Aang is the avatar and Aang needs to needs to learn this in order to, to sort of save the world. And not that that's like inherently romantic because I, I don't think it is, but it speaks to on a, on a larger level why I think Katara is so perfect for Aang because she's someone who can recognize that Aang's role as the avatar has a certain importance to the world that sort of that in some cases trumps other things that are out there and even though in the end it like Katara does end up standing up and fighting and does end up sort of sticking up for herself initially she's she's sort of saying like okay yes this is a problem yes I'm upset but Aang is Aang learning you know learning waterbending is way too important for me to like sort of fight a battle based on that So, I mean, well, I mean, I think you're. For one thing, I, I love the idea of Katara and Aang. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. But also, they still come to Finally. that conflict. <laughs> Someone who agrees with me. <laughs> but they still come to that conflict though later on when she, when he finds out that Aang's trying to teach Katara, she still confronts him about it. And I mean, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't just turn around and be like, "Well, both of you are too much trouble. I'm done with you." You know what I mean? Like. It's just, it's still risky. She still let her temper get away with her, but in this moment, she was no, good no, about she, it. she does, and eventually, it does, it does get the best with her. It's just that it, it, you can tell that in Katara's mind, the fact that Aang's role in the world exists is something she thinks about, and I think that that's just very, I think that that's vitally important with someone who's going to be with the Avatar. If you're going to be with someone who is responsible for keeping the world, you know, turning, you need to recognize that. Well, she wouldn't have gone on the trip. If she didn't recognize that in the first place, well, it's kind of like her main character role. Yeah, in no, you're right. Yeah, but that's more just more evidence of that. Don't ruin this for me, Mitchell. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll back off. <laughs> and see, I'm gonna oh. open my mouth right here. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Lynn. Because I bring your Zutara perfection. Okay, so I see kind of that too, but not as much as Zutara. But anyway. Oh God. Like I take back everything you said. Finally. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's, <laughs> this kind of does though. I I agree with what you're saying. It's important for someone to support Aang in that kind of way. But I still don't necessarily mean that it has to be. Oh yeah, definitely. Just I ship them immediately. Like. Again, I'm I'm more into the you can be friends doing that too. Like it's not automatically oh yeah, they got to be together now. No, no, no. The, in this case I would dis what I'm saying is the person who is Ang's wife or romantic partner or whatever or you want to call it has <laughs> to be No, no, no. Not or friend. Y yeah, the because friend has yes, to do that friend, too. Let him finish. Yeah, I no, don't because know you that can one. be friends you can be friends with someone. And in, in, in ha the, when you're friends with someone, your entire life is not 
sort of being shared with this person. You're yes, you're friends, and and I'm not saying that friends do, shouldn't support Ang, but your romantic partner has to. Your friend, it's lot less important. Well, but I kind of point, see where she's coming the, from, though, because she yes, kind of like well, she takes I think, a... <laughs> I think you're forcing the, the, this a little too much, though, because yes, she does become his wife, but at this current moment, she's being a good friend, and she's. So not self-sacrificing, but she's understanding of the world. You know, like that. It's not just about her; it's about the world, in a way, right? Yes, and I I agree with that point. My point is that being if you're friends with Ang, it would be best if you support him and recognize um, his role in the world. But it also is not essential, which is. Why I think Zuko and Ang are very good friends. Yeah. Zuko is not someone who's going to support Ang. If Zuko was in the situation, he would have immediately fought in, in, instantaneously. There would be no, oh, maybe Ang, you're more important. There, no, he wouldn't. I, I don't know, I don't know about that one. Are we talking think... end of the series, Zuko, or <laughs> no, 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 Zuko right <laughs> that's now. That's good. Yeah, no, well, because they're, they're not, they're not the friends thing. until the end of the series. Yeah. And or, by right, that time, let me, Zuko's right, let me, come yeah. to... Let me change. So, <laughs> let me change. Toph. Toph, no nonsense. <laughs> Wouldn't have taken a word. But this, uh, yeah. would, be, this guess, would be a devastating like... episode if Toph or somebody who is an equivalently good friend were able to say, you know what, screw you. I'm going to go ahead and take these lessons or I'm going to let you take these lessons and, or leave them and we're not going to talk about it because I, I think that would ultimately be a devastating conflict for friends and then their friendship would have to be reevaluated, you know? So I don't know. I it, it would, but I think that I think that you can be friends with the Avatar and in in, in some ways and not be in the position where you're where you're always putting the needs of the world ahead of your own needs. I think that if you are romantically with the Avatar, you have to put the needs of the world ahead of your own needs. Unless you have a character arc in which you learn from your mistakes later on. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of pressure, I guess, to, to assume that of a, of a romantic partner. Even though I agree with you that generally if you are partnered oh, that it's, way. Oh, it's not a, but I'm saying it's not a relationship it's, I'd want to be in. <laughs> but it's just the truth. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I, I would agree that no matter what, if she, if she as a friend or as a partner had said, yeah, let's both leave. It would have had terrible consequences for their relationship, whatever sort it was. I, I wouldn't have cared. I guess it Until care. later. <laughs> and then he'd be like, wow, she let me do that? What? Hang <laughs> gives absolutely no shits about anything. <laughs> Except Katara. That's Aww. the only thing he cares about right now. Well, I, I guarantee uh, you that uh, he would have given a shit later if he was getting beat the crap out of by Ozai and couldn't um, pull yeah, out true. that way. Eventually win. it would have come back to bite him. I'm just saying right there. <laughs> um, all, right, so... all right, so on a, on a small sort of side note, I, I do also think it's interesting about Katara that she's kind of like very poo-pooing the healing and and, and, and how she wants to fight. And then later on in, in, in Korra, she's referred to as the best there is when it comes to mm -hmm. healing. Um, I just think that's interesting that like she's like naturally an incredibly gifted healer and is like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to fight. Well, I don't know if that's well because she goes to the lesson, you know. I I, I 
I guess looking back on it, I mean, she's hungry enough that it, she, yeah, she's hungry enough that she's willing to learn anything about water. And she was totally respectful. Oh no, to no, no, of course, no, of course. I'm saying it's just it's interesting that she's someone who who sort of looks like disparages the idea of le of learning healing. She says that she's obviously disappointed when she walks in, and yet later on in life she's going to be considered like one of, if not the best healer in the world. I don't world. know if she's even disappointed though. I mean, like she's disappointed that she doesn't get to learn about this too. But if for whatever reason, you know, Master Paku was going to go, great, today we're learning healing today. She'd be like, yeah, awesome, I just learned I can do this. Her exact words are, I don't want to learn how to heal, I want to fight. Yeah. What, what is the meme you put in, Corey? I'm well, no, <laughs> I think, yes, but I think, she's, I think she said that because he's like, no, woman can only heal, and then that just pissed her off. So it's like a, no, you don't tell me what to do thing, but I think... Olivia is 100% right, where if she had the option to learn as much about waterbending as possible, including healing, she would gladly do it. Oh, no. Of what course you're right. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying she doesn't want to heal. I'm saying that it's just it's interesting that in this moment when she's, she's sort of saying, like, I want to learn how to fight, and then eventually she's going to be considered such an amazing healer. I just think it's an interesting development. I'm not, I'm not here to say, oh, Katara didn't want to heal or anything like that. It's just it's interesting sort of looking at her into her arc in life at what she's kind of known for in the end compared to what she how she feels at this point as a teenager versus as a you know 85 it may be kind of one of those standard yeah. like wartime sort of character development arcs though because she has fought she does fight for a long time and it's exhausting and trying and dangerous and so maybe when she does get older, she's like, I've appreciated the chance to specialize in both of these forms of water uh, bending. I mean, yeah. healing's also pretty important during wartime, too. Yeah. It's not but well, she... no, but she also had kids, too, so. Um, one other small thing about the healing scene in particular. Did you guys find it weird that the kids, that the, the girls were extraordinarily young? Actually, yeah. Okay, can I say something really strange? Okay, yeah, so I was looking back at that scene, and I'm like, yeah, okay, all of these are kids. And then I realized she has this anatomical model in front of her. And for one thing, I was like, that's pretty cool. Because <laughs> I, I don't know, when I was in elementary school learning biology or whatever, you know, like you didn't have models per se, and oh, not a lot of the water bending teach. Okay, okay, well, maybe you're different. <laughs> but like, I don't know, I just felt like that was really cool because... I don't know, the fact that they were using a model in the first place seemed to me to be like, oh wow, this is some pretty advanced, like, in-detail stuff. Like, they're not censoring anything. <laughs> but, Actually, if... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you if you take into account that they're all young, doesn't that mean that from an early age, their roles are divided? So I, I mean, in, yeah. in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, we're bringing back up the sexist thing, is that because you're a woman, instantaneously, or not instantaneously, but you know, you're, you're already categorized as to going into healing as opposed to, you know, having an aptitude test to see if you're more suited towards healing or for combat. When, when I say, is it weird that they're young? What I'm, what I'm asking though, is that when we see waterbending, the, the waterbending fighting training next episode, the, the waterbend, the male waterbenders, they're all, they all seem like teenagers relatively close to Ang and Katara, or, you know, relatively close to Ang and Katara's age. The girls in that scene looked significantly younger, and it felt like just another way to sort of add a like kind of an insult to injury to Katara there. Like, oh, she's sort of sitting down with this like very basic, babies. simple heal, you know, baby healing lesson, and you know, a way to sort of make her feel even worse. I just, it, it, to me, it felt a little bit we like a little bit weird. It could, it, like it, like it was. An, I mean, it could just be that she she just happened upon the the 
the class, the most basic class, you know, if, if you have to start from somewhere, you have to start from the bottom, right? So, she starts where all the kids start. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess, I don't know, it, it just, it, it would, it would, if, if when we saw Aang learning waterbending, we saw him with a bunch of, like, little kids, I think it would have been okay, but it just, it felt a little bit like, well, but, adding something just for the sake of it. Well, but, hang on, they're trying to fast track Aang too, right, so... You yeah, they wouldn't that put he's... him in the in the in the child's class in that sense. I mean, I'm a, I guess. All right, so let me transition to, like, I also kind of have a problem with the way Paku's teaching style is. Like, I think that um, it's it just they're not a problem. Like, I, it's interesting that you can see how much Paku's teaching style just does not mesh with Ang, um, and how. Similar to Zhang Zhang, like this is another example of like, yeah, this is not the right teacher for Aang. Obviously, Katara needs to be the one to train him and get the best out of him because it just, this style of like abrasive, kind of insult driven is not something that's going to get Aang to work. So, are you saying that that's a bad, like that Paku should have been sensitive to that? Or is just is unfortunate that, that it worked is out that, that way? Is that spoiling him though? It depends. No, it's. A teacher, a teacher needs to get the best out of their student. I mean, well, yeah, but... I, I just think Paku is a bad teacher for Anne. Yeah, but she might be. A, he might be a good teacher for some people, and in fact, he's probably a great teacher for Katara. But very clearly, he his teaching style just does not work with Anne. Yeah, but in a, if you think about it in a different way, Ang is the one who's the weird one here because, well, think about it this way: Paku, if if Paku is the grandmaster, right, that means that he not only teaches, you know. He, he probably is the one who oversees the teaching of every single waterbender in the north in the northern water tribe like we brought we brought up before which means that he has to deal with who knows how many hundreds of people so obviously he's a no-nonsense kind of guy and if you know ang is gonna be a whiny you know he's gonna be whiny about it then well if he if he wasn't the avatar in a sense you know he'd just say well, you can leave, you know, because I, clearly you're not. But he can't. I yeah. think it's kind of. He's the avatar. I think it's kind of like he we were saying earlier that, like, you know, Ang kind of has. He's super chill, and he doesn't Again, seem it's, to it's understand this, the. It's this the, lack of. It's this lack of urgency that he has, right? Yeah, I because think he's he, kind of just trying to beat the humility into him. Yeah. <laughs> to be completely. No, I don't. No. Really? This is how Paku teaches. Everybody. Yeah, but that's part I, I of agree. the training is... of the art, as it is. It's like, like you know, when you go to like I don't know a martial arts school or something, and you have a teacher who's like, "You're gonna try this drill over and over. I don't care if your body hurts. You're gonna do it over and over because you mm -hmm. learn humility from that." And I think that's just okay, the thing that... he wants to impart upon Aang, and that that's something Aang needs to learn. But he doesn't want to think that now because he's mad about what's going on with Katara. But I also think that this style of teaching is not something that Aang is going to respond to. And if, like, eventually he wasn't taught by Katara, I think he just probably would not have become a particularly good waterbender. Like, off of, exclusively off of Paku's training. Just as I don't think Zhang Zhang could have trained Aang in firebending. Yeah, I don't think someone I mean... who's self-loathing could have trained the Avatar. Eventually it needed to be someone like Zuko who had a similar sort of experience in discovering his... The fire, the, the fact that fire is dangerous, but still doesn't have that like self-loathing side that Zhang Zhang does. Yeah. Not that Zuko doesn't have a bit of a self-loathing track to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Hey, the dragons, man. They uh, they dragons. Dragons. Yep. On the 
Um, On an aside here, does anybody find it odd yeah. that Aang, when he first starts warning waterbending, is, like, prodigiously good, and now is, like, uh, yeah. awkwardly poor? It... No, I think it makes sense, partially because of the teaching, and partially because I think Aang has a lot of natural talent, because, like, he's the Avatar, and obviously he does, and I think that with Paku, it's a lot more of, alright, can you be perfect? Can you do this exactly do this with the way you actually, with grace and stuff? This actually brings up a, an not... interesting, uh, something interesting that I just thought of. Does does being the avatar make you better at banding? Yes. Naturally. Yes. Yes. So naturally, you're just what? What if you had yes. a? What if you? You know, one of the one avatars just really sucked at bending. Um, we don't know. We have not met an yeah. avatar who really sucks at bending. Although, to be honest, comparatively, Aang is probably the weakest bending avatar that we see. Um, yeah. Or just young. Well, I don't know. He's a pretty damn good airbender. No. Yes, but comparatively, compared to Roku, Korra, and uh, Kiyoshi, I definitely think Aang well, no, Korra, is the weakest. Well, no, Korra, Korra, Korra is older than Like, in their natural state, or just the most amazing feat of bending we ever see that person perform. Taking out the Avatar state, because obviously mm -hmm. the Avatar state... Is broken, but... Korra notwithstanding involves having the power of all the past Avatars. Um, being the Avatar does... Like, you are... Because of the fact that you have Rava inside of you, it, it does make you a more powerful bender. I mean, okay. yeah, but I, I, but, I was but going that, more... that doesn't that doesn't mean you have a natural aptitude to being a good because bending isn't just about you know like how much you can muster. It's also about skill and you know like technique and you know I guess. Oh no no! But the point like no the point Mark's making is that Rava holds those abilities inside of each, or in theory, uh, holds those abilities inside of each avatar, right? Uh, Which so she chooses, and to some so the, the, and to okay. some extent, every avatar is kind of the same person. Yeah, so there's residual. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So I guess so, I guess in a way, Rava can choose who who is good and who's the, like who has better aptitude to being a good bender. Okay, I can see that. I mean, I guess one aside, because he yes. theoretically learned them all on his own without on his own. Yes. Yes, he did. He learned the law. He is the OG. He's in fact exactly the OG because he's the first. He he firebent in ways no one ever firebent before. Yep. Also also learned from turtles. Yep. Well, yeah. Fucking lion turtles, my least favorite thing. What? No. Lion turtles are freaking awesome. Okay. I'm not having started right now. Come, come back on the finale, finale podcast, and we'll talk about my hatred of Lion Turtles. Um, a small aside, though, about when we saw Paku's teaching style. Even though obviously that scene was was there to, to highlight like how abrasive Paku is, you did get a lot of nice little bit of subtext about water bending. You know, feeling the push mm -hmm. and pull, um, and how there you needed that that sort of shift in thinking. Um, where it's not the sort of free movement of air, which is sort of very kind of wild and, and very, um, you know, a little bit more like acrobatic. And then obviously later on, you know, earthbending with like these strong stances, like there's just a, you have to think completely differently in order to be a waterbender. And I think that's like, there's just an important little yeah. bit there. Yeah, I can see that. It might also explain why he 
uh, resistant to his, he's not as uh, comfortable right now bending as he could be. It does also make sense though why he, he learns water bend water bending so much easier than you know the other elements because there is a certain uh, relation between. He probably learns fire bending the easiest. In all honesty, there was cheating uh, involved. Yeah, there was a, there were, there it, were some dragon cheating involved. But. No, it's not just the cheating. It's I it's because I think that fire bending is the mo a the most similar and b there's a lot about like proper breathing and like air control which obviously being an airbender helps with okay yeah this fire is but yes i think there is there are there are enough there's it, enough running is there's enough unlike earth where yeah. it's opposite it yes yeah, so he obviously is a very good like natural yeah airbender. um do you think it was a little weird that like the first thing and not obviously that the first because there was a healing episode but like hagoda like looks at Katara and is like Oh, who's the lucky boy? It's like, I, if I see a girl with a ring on her finger, I don't immediately like, oh, you're getting married? Like, it felt a little bit a like. Woman, dude. <laughs> <laughs> is that just something all women do? I'm sorry. I mean. Is that, if, if, is that just something all women do? I, I'm not going to say all women, but like, I, I do think that it's completely common to mm -hmm. look at certain. Uh, ways that you present yourself especially a ring and just make judgments regardless of whether you comment yeah. on them or not but some cultures are far more vocal about it than mm -hmm. others okay um, i like i remember going to japan back in high school yeah, and i was Japan's visiting a high I, I was visiting a high school there and i had this ring on my hand not even on my like engagement finger or whatever it is it was just on my hand and all the Japanese girls were all coming up to me like, oh my gosh, congratulations. And I was like, what are you talking about? They were like, oh, are you, are you engaged? And I was like, no, I'm a high school student. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. Like, you're wearing a ring, you're engaged. And I was like, no, I'm not. She goes, oh, from, from your boyfriend? I'm like, no, it's just a ring. So I think it's, it's really not that uncommon for people to, to get questions for that kind of stuff but i think also it has to do with what she is wearing because i think in this case seeing those types of necklaces that are carved out something very specific th those are specifically for your betrothed carved it out and well, gave it to you. yeah yeah but but like a, an engagement ring you can make a mistake you can like it you it can look like anything you want it to you know yeah but if you but have if, like a cladig for instance and you know i'm yeah. talking about that symbol with the two hands and the heart if you wear it in a certain direction like it's a culturally established rule that it mm -hmm. means something so if you have a culturally established choker that means that every time you see it it's a little bit yeah it makes sense it's for more Although she's obviously wearing it a different way. Because I'm starting, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I, it seems to me that the chokers are actually more specific to the north than they are to the south. And that's yeah. just a family heirloom to her. That's but true. in the yeah. north, that yeah. is like their engagement like ring necklace thing. Mm -hmm. um, on another side, though, also, do you was it a little bit weird that she was like, oh, your grandmother was engaged to a young waterbender. Like, it felt like she should have just said he was, she was, like, other than waiting for the reveal. Well, it, it was, like, it was it, very shoehorned in. Let, let, like, let's was, be, is let's it be not, Maybe she was trying to respect she, her privacy. 
because she was her friend, right? So wasn't she like, oh, I'm not going to get her in trouble by like calling names. But yeah, she was engaged. That happened, you know? <laughs> but specifically to a young waterbender. Like, I, I feel like, it, 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 I don't know. It feel like she didn't say that. Like, she didn't say Paku just to hold the hold the reveal till later. Well, he might be ashamed about that, though. Like, this is... Yeah, it, this is kind he, of embarrassing probably... that the person you're were engaged and going to get married to just up and leaves with no reason at all. It's kind of embarrassing. And I don't and, think and that kind of meant to hurt him either, but yeah. I don't think she would want everybody to know, like, oh, yeah, I left that guy, you know? Yeah, I don't know. But I, I see what you mean. It could be... Mm-hmm. It could be either her trying to be a good friend, or it could definitely just be like, "Ooh, we're being mysterious," you know. Um, Who's the young waterbender? Switching over, <laughs> switching over to uh to our Zuko story. First of all, Iro, nothing makes Zuko happy. Like, don't. Why, why are we even? Why are we even talking? He is about an edge lord. Come he on, believes in <laughs> he melts out later on. Um. Also, um, stealth stash like stealth assassinations, killing a man by blowing up his ship. Ship like. It's a little dark. Is it? Like, they, yep. I, they, they literally just like planted explosive on this guy's ship and then blew up the but ship. That's like, not even that's like a... where he was too. He walked over I there mean, after. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, Zuko's seen some serious shit, man. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, he has. I mean, this is just another. It's just another chapter in his life. No wonder why he's oh. so angsty. This is just no, my Monday, isn't and it? No wonder he's such an edgelord. Everyone's out to get him. <laughs> and I do have to say, holy shit, that was a fucking explosion. Like, that was a massive explosion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that ship, if you saw the shot of the ship afterwards, it was destroyed. That's what yeah. firebenders will do, man. They're good at blowing things up. They weren't firebenders. Well, they're not firebenders. They're oh, pirates. True. Right, the pirates. Right. Well, pirates are good at blowing things up. The pirates are yeah. also good at blowing pirates are also things good up. at blowing things up. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to say that was um, dark, but I mean, it doesn't feel dark unless you're like stabbing them in the gut yourself. I'm just gonna be quiet I, now. <laughs> I'm kind of the other side. I think the idea, like it, it's being that much that impersonal, makes it a little darker. But <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. just that's a minor Wait, opinion. but isn't the whole Eclipse plan to assassinate Ozai while he can't do anything? Yeah, that's pretty dark. This is dark. Compared to... <laughs> it's, this is not the darkest thing in the entire show. I'm just saying, like, you know. Well, but our whole rating system comprises of rating Avatar next to regular TV, right? So is this dark compared to regular TV? Where literally we have no, undead people... No, but is it dark people... compared to Nickelodeon? Wait, dark for Nickelodeon? No, but is it dark compared to Nickelodeon? Um... I mean, I grew up watching Rugrats and Arnold, so I have to say no. Arnold was dark. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was. Oh my god, yes. Uh, There was like a train from hell, I think, in one of those episodes. Mm -hmm. There was also Birdman. No, Pigeon Man. Pigeon Man. That was Mm -hmm. scary, too. Pigeon Man. No, it's so sad. It's scary and sad. All right. All right. We're We're not talking about that show right now, though. No, no. Too much. (laughs) Um... Sorry, it just we're we're an hour and thirty in already, and we're we're still like pretty far away. Um, so once they uh, you know Ang begins to train with Katara, uh, this is where I begin to like actually have a problem with Paku 
um, actions because I'm a big believer that you can't really blame an individual for structural segregation or structural discrimination because it's it's the fault of the entire society and to put it all on one individual whether it's the leader or the master or anything is not I don't think that's fair mm-hmm. because if you if you just look at the way he's acting initially like all right these are the customs if they're going to be changed they're changed but that's what it is but once he kind of takes it a step further and and sort of says okay I'm I'm not going to train Aang because of you know, Wait a second. Sort of teaching. He Wait. says, uh, you me, guys have th- disrespected my whole culture, though. And nobody asks what he meant by that. You skipped the dress scene. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. What? You I'm sorry, the I interrupted you. dress scene. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, I did skip the U.S. scene. Come on. Yeah. What the fuck, Mark? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no. All right, yeah, I'm sorry. Ch- Charles, talk about talk about We're coming back like to the fish though. that Saku tries to give. It's, it's the bear fish. Is it a bear? Yeah. Is it a, bear it a fish? fish? No. Or is it a bear? Knows. No, it's a bear. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a fish, but apparently it's a. I mean, I don't even know what it. I don't even know if it looks like a bear. It's I mean, he put, he put the eyes in the mouth in a way that makes more sense for a bear. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Listen, all I know is after seeing that, that's what I want to get engaged with. <laughs> and he still, and he still get, and he still makes out with this girl. Yeah, he got skill. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. We all just need to admire soccer. Well, actually, skills. I don't know. It, it's kind of cute because if if their whole engagement thing is carving a beautiful pendant for your lady, and he's like new to this culture, and he's like, I made you a thing. I tried my best. You know, it's kind of charming. But I, I think it's the, I think it's the opposite. I think it's that was the moment that she realize that this was inappropriate because oh. to some extent she sees him like him making this carving and being like oh my god he's he's not actually asking me to marry him but like she can kind of see it in it see it in it in in her eyes mm-hmm. and that's when she begins to realize okay i need to get out of this i can't um i can't be around him um and i think that that i, I actually think that that works well to sort of tie together the whole sort of carving necklaces for your betrothed uh together that you can see that that's like a very major part of this of this yeah i'd agree it also explains a lot why she she like runs away immediately after that and and Sokka obviously is confused about this because he doesn't really get it yet yeah and then we we return to l tent where are they staying (laughs) in some tent which you know, giving this culture, I feel like actually, I don't think it is a tent. Sleeping in the same tent, but or igloo or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I don't know why I said tent. Whoa! You're <laughs> really mad about this shelter issue. <laughs> Cor- Corey, are you still alive? I haven't heard you in a while. Yes, but you guys okay, just talk sure. a lot, and it's hard for me to I jump know. in. I'm sorry. Right, that's well, that's usually not the case because you're usually pretty talkative. I just wanted to make sure you were still alive. Yeah, man. Um, all right, so getting back to, to what I was saying before, and bring it, Mark. Um, oh boy, yes, here we go. Now I guess I'm going to get into a big argument with Olivia. So this will be fun. Uh, and I want to say at the top that I am, I understand the sort of like poor social fact that I'm saying. Oh, when pa- pa- what Paku's actions only become a problem when it starts affecting a man. I, I understand that I am saying that. I wasn't thinking that, but okay. But that's not that's not my point. My point is that I think that it, even though yes, there is some degree of like, I under I, I see what he's saying about like disrespecting his culture. The fact that 
we've kind of all said like in some way there has to be some kind of exception for the avatar ang learning is very important katara sees that ang learning this is is really important and she's willing to swallow her pride at least a little bit um it feels a little bit like all right paku like you need to this is got like this is where i think you're taking it too far i i think this is where it, it does go to the point of like paku is now no longer a part of a bad system and just becomes all right you're just kind of a sexist pig like you just need to stop i'm gonna okay obviously i'm gonna i'm gonna just suggest that on the other hand like we said, he like I said, he he says that you disrespected me and my culture. And again, we don't really examine exactly what that is. But I think on like on a on a, his own personal level, and this also kind of ties back to what I was saying about whether or not he's a good teacher for Aang. I'm of the opinion that it looks like he's trying to kind of break through some sort of uh, overconfidence walls that Aang has put up. You know, Aang feels like he's ready to tackle the world and he's like okay this is my method i've tried it with all these people in this whole village and it's worked out for all of them and you know i'm i'm not going to make an exception for you and so then when ang not only is you know skeptical of whether or not he should take these lessons he also goes and doesn't really seem to show any respect for why um he is choosing to segregate the two of them and yeah we can talk till the cows come home about whether or not that's right. But nobody asks, nobody cares about why that is. And I can see, I can entirely see why a teacher, a grandmaster would be totally insulted if somebody was like, you know what, your method sucks. I haven't even had more than one lesson with you and I'm already about to do whatever I want without consulting you or your reasoning. But I want to add one very important line about something Katara says where he's, where Katara says, you'll have someone to practice with. Mm -hmm. like, to some degree, even if Qatar lear learning is not a good idea, like this is gonna help Ang. I agree. I think that should, that that would have been the best option for them because you're right. Mm -hmm. Ang would have been more receptive to practicing with Katara. I'm just saying that I don't think we can pin it on him being a jerk when we don't even stop to think about why he's motivated to make that distinction in the first place, or I whether mean, or not they're being respectful to their potential master. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? You can't say that it's purely just because Aang is disrespecting his his methods. Although I I do I do agree with you that that is a big motivation that you know if anything Aang has you been. Can't say you on a panel of five people, Mitchell. You need to say a name. Oh, Olivia. Oh hi. Okay. Hi. I just want to make fair enough. No, I get it. Uh, but I I agree with what Olivia has been saying in that sense, but part of it has to be self motivated, right? It can't just be. Like the way he reacts isn't uh, isn't something that is purely just because of you know of uh, of Ang disrespecting his teachings. I think that you know if that would be going too far into saying that you know that his reaction was was justified in that sense. That the master's reaction was justified. Yeah, I I, I think I think that you know like what what uh, what Olivia said or what you said is right in that you know. And going on, going behind his back, and you know, not not following his rules. You know, there's there's a lot to it, but it's more than just that. Corey, anything to say on this? Um, I yeah, I kind of touched on it earlier on. Like, I think he went from being very anxious to train Aang, and uh, you know, 
get this because he, he probably thought, you know, how important it is to train the avatar. So no rest. You wake up at sunset. You, we train right away and we, we get this right to no, that's it. We are I'm done. You insulted us, my culture, everything. I think that was a complete 180. And I, I think that's what, as you said, kind of destroyed his character. But what I, I guess mm -hmm. my I guess my the only thing that I'm resisting about this is like, yeah, it's a flaw perhaps, but I also can, I'm, I'm assuming that, like, let's say that what we were saying earlier about spirituality being a huge component in these people's lives and the way that they decide their gender roles and things, it, it's entirely possible that now he's, you know, confronting what he believes to be a spiritual truth or what he believes to be innately right or morally right. And we don't know. Just nobody asked him. You know what I mean? So, like, it, he could, it might not even be a 180. It might be of, that severe an infraction against what he believes is right. But, Olivia, if it's that severe an infraction, picking up a necklace he once made is going to change his entire worldview? Yeah. That's the other thing. That, I don't think it's like a worldview, but I do agree that he has made an allowance really quickly. And that's why I wish we had fleshed it out a little bit more in this episode. I also speculate that he's reacting from a place of humiliation because, as Yagoda said earlier, Katara looks a lot like his uh, bride who totally jilted him. <laughs> so he probably also just doesn't like her. But I can kind of see. Why. But 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 my that's exactly my point. That if this is if you're talking about this purely in the context of tradition and culture and disparaging culture, fine. Then Paku is. A victim of his own culture. No. If he makes it personal, if he makes it personal, then it's now a personal attack and it becomes a completely different conversation. It's not necessarily even a different conversation because what you're suggesting is either that he's entirely logical or that he's swept away by, you know, some sort of emotional whimsy the whole time. And it's like, no, I think that this is a person who had a very logical idea of how he was going to train the Avatar. He was very serious about it. And then emotional disturbance after emotional disturbance kept harassing him about it. And then he's it's suggested that he's having a turn of heart or a change of heart after seeing kind of the spirit in uh, Katara. So I just think he's a complicated character, not a badly written or like ruined person. Or even I, I necessarily that, a bad person. Well, not he's definitely not badly written. He's I think Paku is well written. I, I think that he, I, I think that the debate on whether or not Paku is a, in t up until the end of this story, whether or not he's a bad guy hinges on is his rejection of training Katara based on the culture that he's in and how he. And how he perceives the world, or if it's based on some kind of personal, you know, struggle that he's having based on on his it's past. Both. I think it's both. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't just say it's one or the other. I think both of them. It's obviously yeah, obviously it, it, it impacted by both. But one of them is going to one of them is going to win out. One of those two sides is winning out. And in this is the first moment where it's, it feels like it begins to move more towards the personal side than towards the cultural side. Well, you know what I've noticed? Um, no one else seems insulted by the reveal that Aang was teaching Katara on the side. It seems like he was the only one mm -hmm. that seemed to have truly cared. Doesn't he have to make a formal apology in front of all the village leaders, though? <laughs> Isn't that what that next scene was, though? Where Katara yeah, just loses her crap? Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, yeah. like, nobody has an emotional reaction, but I, I that mean, was another it's... thing that was cool about that scene is that Yue had to be there for that, and she's like, um, you know? Well, but... when, when you put it that way, then maybe it is more of a tradition thing, right? That, you know, he, he, he did technically disrespect his master's orders, and... I mean, you can say that it's sexist or whatever, but if you think about it just purely as a disciple and master relationship, it, it, it is losing that foundation of trust. And I think that's very important because, well, it doesn't, I mean, and this is something that comes more from an Asian culture or Asian background is that, you know, whatever your superior tells you, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, it's what he tells you to do, so you follow it. Right. That's still a thing today, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's still definitely. a thing, right? And I mean, even in a in a work environment, you know, if your boss tells you to do something, you do it. You know, you know, it's kind of that kind of uh kind of relationship. So I can see why he would be pissed that you know and would go behind his back. So so you're so you're putting this now. You're so what by what you're saying is this is entirely has to do with Paku and Ang. And Katara is just a bystander. No, I I don't think it's just that. I think that that is part of the reason why he gets as upset as he is. And I think the other reason is, you know, it is because of his past. And that, you know, he doesn't approve of, you know, Katara maybe because it reminds him of, you know, like long ago. Or, you know, and part of it might be tradition. And, you know, part of it might be that Aang was disrespectful towards him. You know, I think I that think... all of them play equal equal roles here all right so we're gonna we're gonna stop for a minute um unfortunately Lindsay has to go pretty soon so Lindsay, why don't you give us yeah no don't no worries uh it's i mean we're at the hour and 44 minute mark um so why don't you give us your final thoughts and your rating and then we will get back into our episode discussion i just want Lindsay to be able to to wrap her stuff up okay. so go ahead Lindsay. so sorry to interrupt all this but i gotta get up at 5 30 in the morning for work so oh god uh <laughs> yeah so Anyway, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I I really love this episode. We've uh, discussed a lot about the inclusion of the different culture of the Northern Water Tribe. It it just also has a really good storytelling aspect in which it's really doing a good job at building up to the finale for the next two episodes in a way in which, again, we're learning stuff, we're enjoying the story, but it's also actually it has a purpose, like everything that's going on. It's, there's a deeper thing behind it that's going to come to something on later. So it's storytelling amazing, visually as always amazing. Um, the characters are just extremely well done in this episode. And unfortunately, of course, right as I'm about to leave is when we're going to really discuss like the fight that I'm in love with. Because <laughs> it's such an amazing demonstration of seeing Katara totally just her natural instincts in waterbending and it's such a great way of kind of coming full circle seeing her again with other water with a, a water tribe but compared to what she was in the beginning in the first episode with her waterbending and seeing how much she's already grown just even by herself kind of it's it's just a really great moment of seeing that type of growth so based off of all that i'm gonna have to give this episode a 9.5 all right all right thanks lens um 
we will obviously do the rest of our episode ratings at the mm-hmm. end, but I just want to get Lindsay's in um, before she finished up. So I'm going to move on to the next part of the episode because um, we're going to come back to talking about okay. Paku and, and stuff. So, um, bye, forward. guys. But to, See you. Uh, Have fun. Um, but we get um, so we get the sort of final little bit about the Zuko and uh, Zhao story, or I guess in this case, Iroh and Zhao story, uh, with Iroh and Zhao having tea. And I just say, at this moment, this is the first, like, I knew immediately that Zuko was alive. I mean, partially just because it was, like, this was not how Zuko was going to die. But also, like, seeing the way Iroh was acting, like, it seemed pretty clear to me that there's no way his nephew just died. He wouldn't be like this. Um, but I think that this is a really well-put-together scene. Um, I think both uh, Zhao and Iroh give really great performances at like showing where they both are in this in this story because Zhao has this like really great confidence um, and and smugness to him and I also think the the, the line read um, was really good because his voice just just for a brief minute breaks confidence when when Iroh says uh, the Fire Lord will not be pleased when he knows who's responsible and then it. It goes from a great voice a moment to a great uh, animation where you just get this tiny little bit of smile smile on, on Zhao's face. And I think that it's um, like really, really well um, done and a great transition between doing something like through uh, audio and then switching over to visual. Uh, I think this scene is, is like really perfectly constructed. <laughs> yeah, it was really well done. Yeah, yeah. Avatar is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so we switch back. We get our, you know, so now we get the start of the fight. Um, I didn't, I didn't mention earlier, but we do get before that was the the great uh, Katara line where she, you know, points her finger in a pretty epic stare and and, and says she's going to fight him. Um, and the fight comes down. Now, first and foremost, I love this fight because it's one of the few true water bending versus water bending battles that we get to see. Um, for the most part, like firebending is, is pretty often the antagonist, so it's nice when we get to see two benders really, you know, duke it uh, out from the same form duking it out. Um, I also think that this is very clearly like an, a very well put together fight in that you can tell Paku is holding back, you can tell Paku is much, much better, but kind of in some ways toying with her, in some ways, sort of, well, I'm not going to give that much effort. And then on the other hand, Katara. Like, this is a very different Katara fighting style than we normally see. We see a little bit of hand-to-hand combat, which is something we've never seen or really never seen from Katara. She's much more aggressive than she normally is. Like, um, it's actually very reminiscent of the way she was when she um, beat down Jet um, in sort of a similar where you can see when Katara gets, like, to a certain emotional state, she becomes a lot more aggressive. Mm Um, do you think that it's weird how, you know, women are not allowed to learn waterbending in that mm-hmm. culture, but he had no qualms of fighting a woman with waterbending? Like, don't you think that well, would I don't think, go against I don't think he, he said, took I'm it, not going to hurt you. Yeah, I think, I don't think he took it seriously at the beginning, as in he didn't think that she'd be enough of a challenge for him to even, you know, call it fighting, in that sense. But if it's so, you know, uh, tabooed, even just, you know, like, like you would never... Even, like, let's go into a culture today in, like, real life. Like, if women aren't allowed to do blank in, like, some form of, like, religion, like, or something, well, but, you wouldn't necessarily see a guy even toying with someone. Just to but again, he well, told but, her, and it was yeah. super condescending, I'm not going to hurt you. 
And he's basically yeah. saying, I'm going to demonstrate my superiority, but don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. Yeah, I think and, it's consistent with that same sort of mindset that you're talking about. And it's not even really about waterbending. It's about waterbending fighting, right? Because women do learn how to waterbend because they need to learn how to heal. I think it's all about, you know, like, actual, like, fight. He's, you know, in, in a sense, you know, he's very... He's very, you know, he's he's condescending because first of all, he knows he's a master, right? And he doesn't think that she has what it takes to, you know, even scratch him in that sense. So I think it's plus a, the personal insult. Yeah, but, you know. yeah, minus the personal minus insult. Can I just say, um, by the way, I love when yeah, she freezes the ice at her feet and she goes, "You're not gonna knock me down." That is the sickest line. <laughs> yeah. Now on that line. How do you feel about all the crowd cheering? Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's fun. a really I, good question. I'm annoyed because, again, this is another matter of the episode taking the direction they want the, us, the audience, to feel. Obviously, they want us, the audience, to root for Katara and women and just women. But, like, I'm telling you, and like that culture didn't make sense to me. I think, and especially because you saw when she was about to learn healing, how like excited not excited but everyone was just content with just learning healing all the women that that was and i'm not saying there's not a lot of women there that really secretly want to do more than just heal and, and like want to fight of course i think that but i don't think they would be actively cheering it's like you know i'm with Corey. i i agree all right yeah. Yeah. Defend your, i feel like everybody else took the opposite track but do you pay attention to who was in the crowd it was all mm -hmm. of her classmates from the healing session. Mm -hmm. You know, these young, impressionable females who are seeing one of... Who aren't that, in, you know, ingratiated, integrated. Uh, integrated? Uh, that might not be the right word. Conditioned? That, that sounds all this old ladies yeah. too. Yeah, who aren't that conditioned to the culture, right? So they're just seeing someone... You know who? No, but I think there are some old ladies in there too. Now I'm looking at it. Yeah, and an old guy. Were there? Well, I, I think you're right though. There is a majority of like young people. Yeah, I was gonna um, say like if it's mostly you know the really young and the people she met during that class, I I could see it. Like they're not that into the culture yet. They just see someone that they were with recently about to take on the strongest. War fighter, warrior, bender of their uh, tribe. I, I think I would have liked it more if it was like it. I feel like it should have been a little bit slower. Like it, it's one of those things that maybe towards the end, like people are starting to like begin to change minds and begin to sort of change opinions. But it, 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 it did feel to me. Sort of what like Corey had said that it was like, oh well, of course the crowd is cheering for the girl you know the our hero to, to to like push back this because it and i'm not i'm not a hundred percent sure that it makes sense culturally i mean i i'd grant that if it had been a you know a bystanding group of mostly adults right yeah, yeah. But, it, I, but it's mostly i think it's mostly young kids and girls but there are a few like elderly people men and women as well and I, I, get, I get the impressionable part, and I, I again, I, I get it. It's just, like, I think visually it was just done as a means to get you, like, like almost like in Rocky when he was fighting oh, in Russia. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're... But then they rooted for, like, it's, like, it, that's all I was seeing there. It was just a, a cinematic. I, don't, I didn't see it for the ways 
where it's just like, man, they're, they're, I'm in a healing class, but I really want to be a fighter. Like, Katara's showing me I can do anything I want to do. Like, I didn't see it like that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely with Corey on that. Hmm. All right, that's that's fair enough. Um, I, I think the kids uh, still would have been excited. Again, yeah. when you're that young, you're not like full. Yeah, I mean, it's a what if it's just, battle too. <laughs> it's just it's it's pretty kick ass. Yeah. I mean, if you just put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, this is definitely the best water bending we've seen so far, other than I guess Aang in episode two when in the Avatar state. But like this is this is some really serious air, uh, serious water bending, and I, and I like that. There just comes a point where you can see Paku be like, all right, I'm done. This is it. And he wins. And I, I like that because it shows that a master is a legitimate, you know, is legitimately better. And, you know, Katara, yes, Katara is an excellent water render. And yes, Katara can hold her own a little bit. But there comes a point where it's time for the master to sort of put put his pupil uh, in, in, in her place eventually. Um, and I like that. Um, and... So yeah, we we do get a brief moment where we see that Zuko is alive and we see some more scars on his face, but not not really too much to that scene. So I'm just gonna kind of skip. Over Actually, it. I have a really quick question. That. Well, not question, but a comment. Yeah, go ahead. So I don't yeah. know if this is something that you guys noticed right away or anything, but I was anybody like paying attention to her hair as she's water bending Katara. Yeah, it gets yeah. more and more unraveled. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, I, I don't know. I, I love talking about hair and what that means, <laughs> what hair can mean for a, like a story or a cultural narrative. But um, did anybody have like opinions or thoughts about like why that happened as a directing choice? Aside from just, yeah, she's getting water everywhere. Like, let's be real. I mean, I think more, the biggest part of it is just to show that, like, her physical exertion, that, like, she's she's been fighting Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it's I think it. it's more of a demonstration of just how how difficult it is for her. That's... Like, similar to the sort of the, in the anime fight, of course, the guy's shirt gets blown off. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I was even thinking, like, well, for one thing, it is showing how much exertion she's having to go through. But I was also thinking how in some cultures, when you literally let your hair down, you're kind of not being the stoic, refined, womanly figure that you might be expected to be. So I was looking at that and I was like, oh man, she's literally letting her hair down. She's going go all out. Go watch, the, <laughs> go watch the deserter because we had a very large discussion about hair during the deserter. Okay. Yeah. And the, how the hair of the Fire Nation um, has a lot of yeah. like, really symbolic meaning. Oh, okay. Um, and like how Zhang Zhang, like when his hair is down, it shows him like rejecting the fake primness of the Fire Nation. Exactly. You can yeah. find it on iTunes and SoundCloud. And SoundCloud and Stitcher and many other places. <laughs> shameless plug, Charles. Right? It's not shameless. We're not making money. I'm, I'm plugging this. No, we're not. <laughs> this Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hashtag we're not making Sky Bison making Polo, baby. We need to get that going. Sky Bison. Oh, shit. Polo. I forgot to make a Twitter to promote that last week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have to say um, the, the final scene with, with Paku finding out the, ne the necklace. Um, I think the blocking in this scene is really well done because you have Paku like all the way up front, very cut off, Katara kind of in the middle but also a little bit alone, and then the audience behind. And eventually you can see the sides coming together, but then in the background you see Yue running away. And I think that just like visually um, this is like a really well put together 
uh, scene and something that Avatar does do very like phenomenal at times where you can just you can look at the way the characters are staged and tell what everyone's mental state is just from seeing that and I think that's really really well done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a small complaint but um, when did it become night maybe they were oh, fighting no. at it's sunset the middle who knows but we kind of have a feeling they're not because, like, Aang, if you think about, like, the timeline of this episode, like, Aang and, Aang get, and Katara get caught at night. So, in theory, they probably had this council meeting the next morning. Yeah. yeah. So the fight happens in the morning. When did it become night? This like, whole, I don't, it feels I don't like know. Well, maybe, maybe there was a, maybe, maybe there was a spot, of, maybe there was a, you know, maybe there was just a, a brief respite of time between the where the when the fight begins and I I don't know. I actually yeah, it, was it, it honestly it felt like it felt like they only did that because they want they like showing Yue in the moonlight because obviously major foreshadowing and and I actually think like taking out the problem with this doesn't make sense that they're in the moonlight the the way the scene is constructed is very nice like framing the moon in between them um with this with this the moon the side of the moon that is in uh frame uh favoring ua was like obviously like like really good subtle foreshadowing with like that in the end the moon is what's going to come between them and you know etc etc it just for a minute i was like wait a minute guys like it's not night i don't know when it became night um I mean, unless they're arguing that this was, like, much later. But it felt like Aang says to Sokka, like, go after her. And he, like, runs after her. And it's like, oh, he found her four or five hours later? Yeah. Hey, That's it's a, a big city. It's totally <laughs> not possible. That is, you're not, you're not, you're not Maybe wrong. it was a long fight. You're right. Dude, I, I, I know there's times in New York City... I <laughs> go voices and not made it until. Yeah. I mean, also, also, right. also think about it this way: if they're in the North Pole, technically, time, you know, like daylight time, it might not be as long as you know as oh, other places. Shoot. So you, you know what? What would be? <laughs> you're you're right. Like what would be you know normal? I don't know, like eight hours of daylight could be like four to five hours. It, it is possible. That's... Eight hours of daylight is not very much daylight. Well, still, okay. you know. Yeah. But you know what? You know what I mean. Uh, yes, I know what you mean. And you're you're right. There is some there's something to it. Um, so we get the 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 actual final scene, and this is just another like brief moment of I didn't I actually thought this didn't work very well because I don't see any way Ang and Katara aren't going. I know together. why is she like other than like, yeah. other than they wanted to make a joke. And like so that there can be the reveal of like oh actually no everything's fine but like I thought that that was like a really bad setup for a joke and like to be honest very reminiscent of how I felt about the end of the um, Blue Spirit episode where like they tried to shoehorn a little bit of humor in at the end and it's like no guys not the time. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with you that it doesn't make any sense that after you literally fought this man so you could be in his class, you're going to be late and give him another excuse to, you know, look down on you? Like, really? <laughs> and yeah. That wouldn't make sense to me. And, like, Aang and Katara are staying together. There's no way Aang is there and Katara isn't. Yeah, it is a bit awkward. I don't know. It just, I'll be honest. It, it does bother me sometimes when, like, I feel like 
the only reason something happens is like, oh, we wanted to tell a joke or we wanted to talk about an issue. Like I, those kind of things do upset me. And this, this is one that it's not an episode killer. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really detract from the episode, but it's just a little bit of, a little bit of negativity. But to end on a on a massively positive note, the final shot uh, with with Zhao kicking off the invasion is unbelievably well done because like I talked about how this is like a great setup episode for the finale because it's introducing the culture of the Northern Water Tribe. It's introducing this place we're going to be for two more episodes and and see a big fight in. And to sort of end on this, holy shit, that's a lot of boats. That is a that's a legitimate force. This is not. Zhao and two boats gonna sit in the harbor like this is this is a legitimate full-scale invasion and I think that that's like that shot was just incredibly good and incredibly well like all right guys it's finale time let's go it it fills you with dread in the best way good music selection too yeah it's also very nice to see the the Fire Nation really going all out. Like you don't really it's up to this point you don't see them yeah, it, unified that, and going that's, all that, out. That that I actually agree with that. It's the first time that you really see, you know, why the Fire Nation has been able to fight for so long. You know, this is this is maybe the blue spirit. Yeah, but maybe. Yeah. But this is the military power, you know, that they boast. You know, and it's it's pretty impressive. I um I dislike the invasion, but, well, I mean, from, like, a military and tactical standpoint, I dislike the invasion, but we'll get there. We'll talk about that next week, I guess. Um, All right. So, with that, we're going to wrap things up. So, we have two guests on our show, so I will do a quick uh, recap of our uh, rating system. Um, If we are rating from 0 to 10... A5 is an average episode of television. We're rating against all of television that you've seen, um, not just Avatar. Um, Lindsay already gave this episode a 9.5, so extraordinarily positive. If you're giving something a 9 or above, you're saying this is you know absolutely excellent, and 9.5 and above, you're saying it's incredibly good. Um, so I just want to preface that. So why don't we get our final thoughts and episode rating. So Charles, go ahead. Um... I said at the beginning, I really like the episode. I think it does, like, all of the different things it brings up really well. And each of them sets up for something later on, right? Like, we get the uh, Fire Nation plot with Zuko and Zhao. They set up the invasion fleet. And the fact that Zuko is going to be operating as, like, a lone agent. Which is a significant part of the finale, given... uh, Aang's adventure into the spirit world and the whole complications with that. Uh, they set up the stuff with Yue and Sokka with the moon and that foreshadowing. They set up, you know, Katara and Aang lear- learning um, from Paku. And it addresses the issues, you know, well, the sexist issue fairly well. And the choreography of the fight is amazing. And it's just, it's like, it's great. It's great all around. There's minor points here and there, and we discussed some of them that brought it down for me. Um, that being said, compared to, like, all of television, this is far and away better. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd probably agree with Lindsay and give it a 9.5, but um, our scale's been a little biased this week since I've been 
binging Samurai Jack from yes. the old. <laughs> hey, speaking of that. And, uh, no. New episodes. And Not speaking like, of that. Fuck. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> I mean, it's still, like, way above average television. Um, but I'll give, like, a 9.3. I think I gave the, um, I think I gave the first two episodes, like, a 9.5 together. So, yeah, not quite as nice as those, in my opinion. Um, the flaws kind of, like, thinking on them as an older person, they're more nick. They're like, there's more to nitpick at. Um, yeah, so, yeah. 9.3 for me. Alright, Corey? Um, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm actually on your boat, Mark, where I think it's one of the best um, lead-ins to a finale I've actually seen in a show. And, like, I, you never would think you would say that unless it's, like, a two-part finale. But this isn't a part of a two-part finale. This is a lead-in into the finale. And mm-hmm. um, it set up the finale flawlessly. Um, I, I like the major, uh, as you guys said earlier on, like the, the world building they did. Um, I like, you're right, I, I think this was uh, the prime example of how to do a waterbender versus waterbender fight. Again, perfectly. And um, it's, just, it's just one of those episodes that like you, you'd be, if you wanted to get someone into like, you know, Avatar and like, you're like, Listen, I only have three episodes I want to show you, and this is like, I would put this in a trilogy with, along with the finale, which we'll obviously talk about next week. So, this is definitely one of my favorites from book one. Um, uh, the lighting, the, the I like the Northern Water Tribe, just everything about it. So, overall, I'd, I'd give this episode um, a solid, and I mean solid, 9.2. Okay. All right, Mitchell. Uh, I mean, I have a few qualms regarding the episode i really liked it in terms of you know character development uh world building i think that it was very important and it it does show you know i think it's the it's the preface it's a preface to you know what is to come for ang and katara in terms of you know like their character development and you know what you know i think that it's the lead-in you know ang grows up grows a lot from this experience and so does katara you know i, I think it sets the foundation for that uh you know especially with katara you know uh, truly gaining a lot of confidence uh, after her training and whatnot. My qualms with it, though, is just I think that you know, in regards to this whole sexist issue, it's that I personally don't think it's you know like it's tackled on because in the end, I could argue that you know, uh, Katara only got you know recognized because of you know like because of her skill in a sense, but not because she's a woman. So it's not really. I don't know. I mean, this is maybe just nitpicking, but it's not really a question of you know gender equality. It's you know, oh, talent you know is more important in that sense. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't feel like it was completely resolved the way that I would like. But overall, as an episode, I think it was great. You know, for the show, and I understand that you know in the end the the show has to has to develop the characters, and this was for character development. Uh, I think I'd rate it around 9.2, actually. I think this was a very okay. good episode. All right, Olivia. Okay, um, so uh, things that stand out to me. The battle is creative and gritty, and it, there is so much, as we've discussed earlier, that in the battle, but also all throughout the episode, the actions and the shots and all these sorts of different 
nonverbal signs are great instances of foreshadowing, of character development. All it's it's just really great. I love when there's foreshadowing that's not beating you over the head when it's nice and subtle, but you can still kind of like look back and think, oh my gosh, it all makes sense. Um, so that was really well done. Uh, I'll agree with Mitchell though that there are a few things that seem to be kind of like arbitrarily chosen, and I would agree that the whole issue and the whole cultural conflict about whether women waterbend for fighting or not is rich with things to discuss on a verbal and nonverbal level, um, but that we just don't explore it as deeply as we could. Um, I also tend to think that um, in terms of like the best television I've ever watched or whatever, my favorite kinds of uh, episodes or shows are things that like give me like a physical shiver, you know, they give me goosebumps, like make me walk away from it and be thinking about it for days, make me have like, you know, stray thoughts and daydreams about it later on, you know what I mean? And compared to the next few episodes or even some of the others throughout the season, this one wasn't as, it didn't give you that same sort of, uh, that those same sorts of chills. Um, so I actually, I don't, I don't know if you guys think it's harsh, but I would actually rate it as a solid eight because there's an excellent episode that does exactly what it's it supposed to do. It is still excellent. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. It is an excellent episode. Okay. But yeah. All right. For me, um, the question that you kind of have to come down to is so far the best episode that we've seen, in my opinion, and the ratings across the board reflected this was the storm. Um, and the question is, is this episode better than the storm? And I think that they're right on the same level. I think that there's some little bits of emotion that the storm hits that this doesn't, but I think visually there's some things this episode does with the fight and with um, with just the overall arc of the episode that this does better. And and I said it, and Corey echoed it as well, that like the, the do, this as a lead-in into the finale is just, it's so unbelievably good. Um, and comparing it to the other lead-ins to the finale in this, in specifically in Avatar, um, you've got the Earth King, which you know is an okay lead-in, but not. I don't think it's spectacular. And then Ember Island Players, which is a little bit, you know, obviously a very weird episode and, and uh, great, but you know, weird in terms of that. This is definitely the best one. This sets up the finale in a way that just you are you are ready to go on the invasion invasion side you are ready to go on the spirituality of the waterbending side you are ready to go on Aang and Katara learning waterbending all these things and I think that this episode just does a really great job and also for being an episode that in many ways it's handcuffed with the fact that we've been talking about getting to the northern water tribe for you know 16 17 episodes I mean it's this, we're going to the Northern Water Tribe. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. It, it sometimes can be dangerous of like, oh, is it going to be a letdown? And it 100% was not a letdown. So I think this is this is really, really top-tier television. I think this is absolutely outstanding. Um, so I'm going to give this a 9.3, which anything above a 9 is, is saying it's truly spectacular um, and, and just really, really good. Um, I think this and The Storm are definitely the two best episodes we've seen so far from book one. That will change next week. Um, just, I love the finale of book one, but um, we will talk about that next week. Um, a little bit of housekeeping before we wrap up. Um, next week will obviously be us talking about the finale. We will be doing the finale as treating it as two episodes, but we will be doing it at one time. Um, unlike the 
um, for last two parter that we talked about the um, with the Winter Solstice, um, I think that the book one finale feels like two parts of the same thing, even though they are technically separate episodes. So I think it makes sense to talk about them together. They were aired together. It, it seems like they, it feels to me like these should be talked about together. As a result, it's going to be a lot of episode discussion. Um, I mean, we just went two hours and 15 minutes on this episode. I have a feeling we're going to be going even longer uh, next week um, talking about the finale. After that, we will be doing a full wrap-up of book one, where we'll be talking about this sort of as how do we feel about book one as a whole, and also looking at how we feel about book one, uh, rating book one, uh, on its own and then taking an average of all of our ratings of the episodes and sort of comparing is book one better than the sum of its parts or is it worse than that or is it exactly the same um, obviously we'll talk about that um, and what that entails once we get into that and then we'll be chugging right along into book two um, we might be having some changes for book two I haven't uh, fully fleshed that out um, but stay tuned for that as per always, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Or not really on Facebook. We don't have a Facebook page. But you can follow me on Facebook if you're friends with me on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. That's all in the episode description. It's also Wu underscore pod. Um, you can listen to us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Google Play, uh, anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Um, if you ask questions, you post comments, uh, we will talk about them. And that should be good. I want to thank uh, everyone here on my panel. I want to thank Lindsay for uh, being in when she could. Obviously, she had to leave early, but we understand that. Um, and also thank Olivia and Mitchell for coming on as guests. Always appreciate thank guests. Thank you for having us. Um, thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. We had, we had a good discussion. Any last words for anybody? Uh, no. I'm excited to... Well, yes. <laughs> I'm excited. I am excited to converse with some people who have some really well-rounded and informed... Uh, ideas about good storytelling and good, uh, you know, screenwriting, I guess, and directing. So this is really cool. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Peace. Bye-bye.